once again to the Yorkshire Gamers Elite Big War Games podcast, and this our special celebratory episode for episode number 50. It's the Golden Jubilee, would you believe? And as you would expect, I've got a couple of uh, smashing guests to talk to today. I've managed to get both of the two fat lardies, both Nick and Rich, to come on the show and to talk about many, many things, as you can expect with those guys. But we're going to talk about their World Cup win. If you remember the World Cup of Historical War Games that uh, I ran a few months ago, the uh, two fat lardies managed to get two sets of rules in the final and Chain of Command defeated Sharp Practice in that uh, matchup. So we'll get to speak to those guys in a few minutes and uh, see how they feel about being both the winning and the losing managers in the World Cup. In other podcast news the uh, last episode with dave brown has proved extremely popular and uh, the previous episode before that with peter thompson from pro art um that featured on the local bradford radio uh, who do a podcast uh, section every friday at uh, midday and uh, it was on there which was great to get mentioned outside the wargaming world is uh, pretty amazing uh, so anybody, any new listeners who picked up the show from that, welcome. I'm not sure what you'll make of uh, today's show, but there we go. Uh, so today's guests, Nick and Rich from Two Fat Lardies, have done many, many podcasts over the years. So I was very keen to try and concentrate on things that maybe they hadn't talked about in other places and not talk about upcoming rule sets and all that sort of stuff. So... Rich has not been on the show before, so I got him to do a lot of the features stuff um, that Nick had already done on his previous uh, appearances, uh, but Nick uh, weighed in with his opinion on uh, many of those uh, answers that Rich gave. So sit back and get yourself a cup of tea. It's another three-hour job. It's broken up into four sections if you want to take it a chunk at a time, but get your painting ready setting off on a long journey make sure you you've you've got some drink and whatever and uh some blankets because it's winter time but sit back get ready because here come the two fat lardies without further ado here's an interview Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 50 of the Yorkshire Gamers Elite Big War Games podcast. And it's the Golden Jubilee episode today. The street is full, the party is in full swing, lashings of trifle with mushy peas are available for all. There's an all-day bar with ferrets from two o'clock, and Amos from Emmerdale Farm is judging the pies at three. Back in episode 25, the Silver Jubilee, I spoke to my old friend Stephen Barker about the halcyon days of my wargaming youth. Today, for the 50th, I've got two equally special guests. Described recently on a wargames forum as a right pair of... Oh, sorry. Um, that's my spelling. It's cultists. Uh, that's an L, not an N. I am personally looking forward to being initiated into the cult of lard... And I hope later on that we will be invoking some incantations, sacrificing a 1980s 15mm Napoleonic minifigs unit and reincarnating some average dice. There have been many dynamic duos over the years, Batman and Robin, Little and Large, Rod Hull and Emu, Chaz and Dave. 
but not many have had such a massive impact on the world of wargaming. But sadly, the Perry Twins aren't available, so I've got these two. They're known as the, they're known as the king of the activation cards, the link in the chain of command, the infamy in the infamy, and also the itchy bit of friction. But above and beyond that, they are now World Cup winners. The first in England since 1966. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the new Sir Alf Ramsey and Harold Shepherdson, if you remember him, of Wargaming. It's Richard Nick from Two Fat Lardies. Hey! Hello, guys. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we're here, mate. It's amazing the way we've been transported here due, due to your high-tech sci-fi equipment, like beaming up to the Starship Enterprise but full of full of best bitter and mushy peas. It's it's been a remarkable experience so far, and we can only hope that things can only get better. That was quite a build up you gave us there, Ken. I've had two cups of tea, a slice of toast, and I'm on my second breakfast now. So um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've been called lots of things, but never all of those things. Together. Never all of those. Well, all of those, yes, but not at the same time. No. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the itchy bit, the itchy bit of friction. I was particularly proud of. Mm, well, yeah, I, I imagine you would be. <laughs> yeah, I've got a cream for it, mate. I can send you some. <laughs> I hope it's Two Fat Lardies branded itchy friction cream. <laughs> it is, but don't sit on cold walls. Yeah, that's my top medical tip of the day. Thank you very much. His own aloe vera. <laughs> no, she's like, oh, she is. She is actually. She was from Leeds, wasn't she, Vera? Despite the fact living in Weatherfield, Vera Duckworth yep. was actually a Yorkshire lass. She was. You've she done was. your research, mate, haven't you? <laughs> Straight to the top of the class. Yeah. Has he googled famous people from Yorkshire before the show? Is that what we're saying? <laughs> no, my wife loved Coronation Street during the 1980s. She doesn't watch it anymore, largely because I never let her out the wardrobe. But um, she used to love Coronation Street. And Jack, Jack and Vera, really, in many ways, in many ways, they are emblems for life. If you couldn't find something that they hadn't experienced, you'll probably never experience it yourself. So. Those those the days I look back on fondly with my wife watching shite on television, as opposed to the shite she watches on television now. It, it, yeah, it's but it's much more of a, a Jack Sugden and Molly Sugden here. It's more of a an Emmerdale. Oh, Emmerdale. My nan liked Emmerdale, but she was insane. Uh, that's reasonable. I can <laughs> I can understand that. There's, there's not much there's not much else to do up the Dales. No. To be fair. <laughs> Last to... time I watched Emmerdale, it was Emmerdale Farm. I don't know what happened to the farm oh, bit. Yeah. 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 It they, all sold went... out, mate. they sold yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> plane crashes and all sorts of weird shit going on now. So I, I, I just don't watch it. No, I don't. I must admit. <laughs> so um, you two have done thousands of podcasts. So um, I, you don't need any um, introduction more further than what I've done or um, any pointers of what to say. Uh, Nick, you've been on the show before, um, back in a long time ago, episode seven. Really? That long ago? That okay. long ago. That long ago. We were fact, both young men then, Ken. In fact, um, I listened to your quiz um, a couple of minutes before we started um, because obviously Rich is going to have a go at the quiz later on yeah. uh, and I wanted to make sure that it was a fair comparison so i've had to drop one of the newer questions because you got one of the older questions so oh so i get second hand questions hey eh? right nice to know 
Yeah. You're in for a treat, yeah. Rich. You know that bit on the SAS program where they take them into a room with a bag on their head? <laughs> That's what's coming your way, mate. Oh, oh, it's brilliant. So, Rich, it's your first time on, mate. So, yeah. um, the first right, thing mate. the first thing that we do with new guests, um, yeah. after the torture, obviously, uh, yeah. is uh, we do a thing called the four-minute challenge. Uh, and that's your attempt to uh, summarise your wargaming history in four minutes or less. Now, I'm not putting any pressure on you, but Nick's was brilliant. Well, mine won't be. Um, <laughs> when do you want me to start? Is there a big clock? And does it go do 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 boom? Yeah, it used to. It used to, yeah. but I've bloody lost it. It won't work through this stupid new super expensive <laughs> microphone, so I have to wave at you and... Right. Point so what account. do you want to know? What do I have to give you in four minutes? My my life story, a, my a, life. Of the a summary of your wargaming history as best okay. as you can. Right. Inform. While you do that, I'm going to go and let my dog out, which will take me about three minutes thirty seconds. So I'm <laughs> missing it completely. <laughs> Probably the best. I'm going to let my dog out as well, and just let him go for it. Right. Is this a euphemism? Uh, so when you're ready, three, two, one, off you go. Okay, well, uh, the first toys I ever remember having were military toys. I was kind of at that generation where my dad had served in the Royal Air Force in the Second World War. My granddad was wounded at Passchendaele, first day of Third Epe. So kind of the, the, the age of, oh, children shouldn't have war toys didn't really exist in our house. In fact, I think the first thing I got for my fifth birthday was a Lee Enfield 303 rifle. But um, so <laughs> war toys were very much part of my childhood growing up. And I started off throwing things at them. I got to the age where I could build airfix planes. And of course, some people stuck them with drawing pins on their ceiling with bits of string. I didn't. I packed them full of fireworks, threw them out the window and watched them explode in midair, which was far more exciting. And you were unlikely to be attacked by a JU-88 at three o'clock in the morning when it fell out the ceiling, which seemed a much more yeah. sensible idea. So from there, um, really, when I was 11, I went to the school library. We were on the first day at big school and they said, have a look around the library anyway. I was looking at a book called The Red Badge of Courage, which was about the American Civil War. And next to it was a book called War Games Campaigns. I don't know who the librarian was, but I think they were probably drunk or something like that because they weren't really using a very good system. But I, I opened this book and there was Don Featherstone's black and white pictures, pictures of plasticine hills and marmalade skies. Ooh. And it was like, bloody hell, I, I've got these toy soldiers, but all I do is blow them up and throw rocks at them. So I, I read it, most amazing experience of my life, discovered I could do this and then found nobody to wargame with. Uh, when I was 18, there was an advert in a, a military modeling magazine saying, Wargames Club setting up near you. Why don't you come and join us? So I went along to the local Wargames Club and um, I'm still going there to this day. Oh, brilliant. So it's been, been a few, few, few years. I've just moved to the area in St. Albans in Hertfordshire. And um, I was poor as a church mouse because I'd just got a mortgage. And um, uh, and going to a club was a great way to do things that was cheap as chips. So I went along, started playing with toy soldiers. It was a type of club where they expected you to design your own games, design your own scenarios, design your own rules. So I started doing that. And at some point, I met some really hideously ugly individual with a face like a giant squished tomato. And that... <laughs> It turned out was Nick Skinner. And at some point in the 90s, we we 
ran a scenario together and that ended up as going, these rules are awful. Let's write our own right here and now, like kids from fame, but with 28 millimeter figures. <laughs> and that's where it began and, and kind of here I am today. Last time I looked, I was 32, but last month, a couple of months ago, I was 60. God knows how. And I, I still look 32. Anyway, that's me, Ken. That's it. Oh, yeah. Have I finished early? The wife says I usually do. Yeah, you, you have. Um, another, another set of people are disappointed. <laughs> oh, excellent thank you very much for that and that kind of reminds me of a, an ongoing theme of people of our age um mm. and that if there was a if there was a war gaming serial killer around mm. in the 70s they would have preyed on hundreds of people because i met some random person in the library and ended mm. up going to some dodgy church hall in the middle of nowhere and playing yeah. war games but that, I could yeah. have been abducted and, and, and worse. Robbie Rodders. The Brunner Mond Library. Yeah. I, I know it well. I know the library. I went to that very library and found a note in a book. We've got a war games club here. Oh, with me. I, was me. Yeah, no, well, I contacted a fellow who knows you, actually. I, I met him again. I met him again at Colours this year after a bat, uh, gap of many, many years. Yeah. It was, oh, that'll be Steve, Steve Barker, I bet that yeah, was. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, he was on the 25th episode, so... Oh. I'll have to go back through, you know, I'll have listened to it, but I didn't realise it was him, Sing so there we go. Yeah. Richard, I'm horrified to know that you used to blow up airfix models. I remember I was the kid who used to hang them from the ceiling with drawing pins. There you go. And, and dream about them as I drifted off to sleep. I remember going to Germany on the German exchange, and, and, my, uh, and I met my friend's friend, and he blew up a Hawker Hurricane with a firecracker, and I was horrified, absolutely disgusted. At the prospect of it so good job i didn't meet you then we might have had fisticuffs yeah. shabby nazi trick mate but yeah, yeah no I, I um no I, that's what things are for mate blowing up yeah or drinking there's yeah. only two things in life yeah i um i i wasn't allowed anything firework related after a after a, an incident on a railway bike with with i'm not going to mention any further but... <laughs> <laughs> I think the truth of it is you weren't allowed sharp objects, which is why you couldn't pin your models into the ceiling. That would be my yeah. That would be my take. Yeah. I was so short in those days, I couldn't reach the ceiling, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I had a huge growing spurt at, at 29. I was only two mm. foot 11 up to that point. Well, excellent. Excellent. There is, um, there is a, there is a, a kind of a schedule for the show and um with oh, these right. with these two guys i'm reckoning i'm gonna get absolutely nowhere near it but but after the last oddcast listening to sydney's yeah. seven golden showers of no sorry golden pillars of wisdom yeah i don't know what i'm doing anymore no I thought, well that's what sid's like mate that's what sid's like he he, it's it's his first step in interrogation to make you not aware. I don't understand where yeah. I am. I don't understand the world anymore. And once your brain is so befuddled, they ask you difficult questions like, "What do you think of glazed washes?" and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It's an interrogation technique he learnt in Moscow. Ah, very good. Well, that's where the red trousers come from, then, is it? <laughs> It's an old flag, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear me. 
so uh, I thought we'd start off with a with a kind of a where where things are at the moment with yourselves in terms of um, promoting the hobby because you, you've the pair of you have kind of taken it on your own bat um, to get out there and and fly the flag. Uh, for wargaming, and uh, you've been back up at the Hartenstein, and Nick, you were on the show uh, last time you'd been up there. So I'm guessing mm. the beer's good and the food's good, um, but other yeah, than that, absolutely. other than that, um, how was your second time round? Uh, it was good. I mean, you know, the first time was really special. The second time was a bit more targeted because we knew all the best restaurants and all the best bars to go to, yeah. so that was made the evenings a lot easier. <laughs> Um, I guess the thing is, people keep asking us to do stuff, and the trouble is, we keep saying yes. Yeah. Uh, so that's part of, that's part of the challenge with that. This time round, we had a different group of people at the heart of the start. Well, mostly the same group, but we had a, like a twenty percent change of personnel, just because of some people couldn't make that weekend, and and the, our German companions were unable to join us. So we had a slightly different mix to the team this time round. It took three tables, took two tables of chain of command and one table of water tanker. The Dutch guys were quite keen to run something that could engage the younger visitors to the to the museum a bit more. So they did a 15 millimeter game of, of uh, water tanker, uh, which was really interesting and good fun, actually, too. So I, I thought at first that they must be crazy. Why? What would that how would that fit in that environment? But actually, it worked really, really well. And they did a great job at running it and engagement was excellent. So um, I think for next year, uh, you know, Rich and I have, have, have kind of project managed it for the last couple of years with with some input from the from the cloggies. Next year, I think we need to you know a bit more bit more from them and a bit less from us would be good because it's just really expensive to just commit to it all the time. Yeah, I was going to say you, you're kind of giving up uh, a huge chunk of your time and um, uh, also a huge amount of build up as well and. Um, it's not a commercial venture for it for you, is it? You're not taking a a stand full of Lardy's branded gear to to, no, to flog. No, so right, um, right. you you kind of um, it, it's kind of a an altruistic promotion of the hobby. Good on you for doing that. Um, and you also did the the We Have Ways festival as well. Yeah, well, that was just, you know again. You know, we were asked to do it, so it was just, it was the same kind of thing, really. It's a bit like that bit in in Zulu where the guy says, "Why us?" and the guy says, "Well, because we're sure, in yeah. the sun." And, sure, yeah. and that's and that's kind of what it felt like. Or what it, I think what it does still feel like. You know, it's lovely to be asked, and I think we're I think we know what we're doing with that kind of event now. And but it is it is a big commitment. You know, I'm taking a bit of a sabbatical at the moment because they've just been really exhausting to to yeah, yeah, put yeah. these things together because they. It's all the it's all the work behind the scenes to make it happen and to pull people together and to work out what you're going to do, you know. Work when we did the We Have Ways Fest thing, Ken. It's the first time I've ever had to do a risk assessment and method statement for a war games display table, um, you know, which was bonkers, really. Um, and I, <laughs> we could we could joke about some of the things that went into that method statement and some of the thinking behind it. But, um, you know, it was necessary to make that event happen and it was really enjoyable to do, really tiring. We have Ways Fest was nine in the morning until, well, it was, it was, it was almost until seven o'clock at night, which we hadn't bargained for at all. And the team put in a, a sterling shift to do that. You know, next year, talking about the same kind of thing. I don't know what that will look like, uh, but it's just, it, it's nice to be involved with these things, you know, but they are draining to do it. I love it, and I, mm. and, but it's draining at the same time. 
I think there's two issues, Ken, that it's really important that we, you know, we hear a lot about the graying hobby and how, you know, we're all getting older. I'm not sure I entirely um, agree with that, but we hear it a lot. And you think, well, we, we've got to make sure that we're visible. We've got to make sure that people are able to see who we are. I think the Hartenstein's one thing. It's an interesting one, but you're really presenting wargaming to people who are probably never, ever going to wargame again, other than the people who've specifically come for the wargame. Mm -hmm. And it's great to see our European chums who do drive up for that. But mm -hmm. I think that we have Wazefest. There's a kind of crossover there that those people are, uh, if you're ever going to have a, a captive audience, it's it's there, they're there, they're locked into the event, but they've also got an interest. Mm -hmm. You know, I always say, if you want to, you want to sell tractors speak to farmers don't talk to hairdressers um because they ain't going to buy one off you so if you want to sell wargaming talk to people who are interested in military history talk to people who at least have an appreciation and understanding and may have touched on it may have seen it might be interested might have thought i wonder what that is but never had the opportunity so i think that's the really important one of the two that hopefully we're able to get out there and we were actually able to to get up on, on stage and, and spend 45 minutes talking to an audience about just what wargaming is and what wargaming can be used for. And I think a lot of that, from our point of view, is about dispelling some of the myths that they might have had in terms of, you know, growing ups playing with toy soldiers. We were trying to present it in a slightly different way in terms of, you know, it's a way to get a window on history. It's a way to understand maybe some of the command challenges. So, yeah, I think it's... I mean, it's bloody expensive, to be honest with you, and uh, it's not something we can, we can, you know, we can't fly the flag for wargaming all the time on our own, and hopefully other people will see that there's some benefits to be had from it and, and pick that up and run with it. I think people, other people are doing it, Rich. I mean, there's, there's no question I see other groups going around, but but uh, what we have that other people perhaps, that, that, you know, that gives us, I guess, that little edge is that we've got a bit more of a voice, a bit more of a reach. Um, but I do see oh, loads yeah. of people doing really good stuff, taking taking games to museums and other events. And the greying of the hobby thing was interesting. I saw a photo the other day on, I don't know what it was on, social media, and it was a, it was a model of the world's biggest model railway event or something that was going on in Milton Keynes. And I looked at the photos of the people standing around those model railways, and if you think wargaming's got a got a greying population, you should have seen the faces that were stood around those, those train mm. sets because... Um, I didn't see many faces there that are under 50. Whereas when I go to these other events, you know, we have Ways Fest at the museum, even at the war game shows, we, are, we are seeing younger people. Um, and I think that's really encouraging. I, I've, I've got yeah. lots of energy for what the hobby's going to look like in the future, uh, because I think there's a good, there's a good flow through of people, I believe. Yeah, um, just quickly going back to the hairdresser thing that um, Richard Rich <laughs> mentioned. Um, there used to be, there used to be hairdressers in Keithley, the posh air no it's not it's, it's a it's a tip um uh called hair flick <laughs> <laughs> well i thought Brilliant. that was that i thought that was just fantastic but the kids the kids today the kids today they wouldn't know would they, they no very yeah. true um, mate. Very i've watched true. a couple of episodes of low of a low low recently and a couple of ep episodes of it ain't half hot mum which has appeared on television uh and, it, and i'm kind of going ooh, ooh. Yeah, yeah. Of that well, time, I, I mentioned Benny Hill in conversation the other day, and my daughter said, "Who?" Oh dear mm. me! The characters are just wonderful in those shows, they though. Are. You know the, 
the things that come out of their mouth may be not appropriate these days for some audiences, but the caricatures were yeah, wonderful. Absolutely, and, and and beautifully played as well by by the actor actors yeah, yeah. involved. Um, so I, I think I think you you may have kind of set a, a new a new old trend off. I remember we used to do things back in back in the day in um, odd places, not just war game shows. Is is it better to target an audience to get people into wargaming through things like that, through museums, than going down to the shopping centre on a Saturday and, and putting a game on? Well, I, I think so because you're more likely to find people who are interested. I mean, I have, a, in general, if I'm honest, Ken, I, I have a real aversion to Jehovah's wargaming. <laughs> um, I've always, I've always. Um, I've always been of the opinion if people are going to end up wargaming, they're going to find it somehow without me being a complete pillock and going around banging a drum mm. and, and waving flags. But on the other hand, when when opportunity, when Bob says opportunity knocks, will you come along to this event and fly the flag? And they've actually approached me. I'm not going to say no. But it, you do wonder if you might sow a few seeds. Um, but it, I think you, the more targeted the, the, the audience is in terms of, you know, at least they know what that tank is. At least they know it's a bloody mm. tank. Whereas if you go down the shopping centre, they might they might not even know that. Um, so, I mean, we used to get invited to Milton Keynes every every year to the shopping centre where there was a there was a, a big war game show outside John Lewis. Oh, nice. There. Would you come to the event? No, I bloody well won't. You must be kidding us. I'm not going to stand there in a shopping centre playing toy soldiers. I mean, Milton Keynes actually is the breeding pits of Saruman anyway. So I don't particularly want to go there on any basis. But um, um, so, no, I won't. But will I go to We Have Ways Fest? Will I go to the Airborne Museum? Well, yeah, if you ask me, I will. Yeah, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put myself up for it because I just, I'm always a bit dubious of that, you know, showing people what they're not bloody interested in. Yeah, we don't hunt them out. I mean, the, the reflection I have on my own wargaming at the moment is that I'm so busy doing these other things that actually I don't get to play on my own table with my own mates, doing my own games. I'd like to do a bit more of that. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's nice to be busy, but it's tiring, yeah. right? Yeah. Really tiring. I know it's like a bit of an old whinge, but it, but it's they're exhausting, some of these things, yeah. mentally and physically. And just the, yeah, never mind the drinking that might go yeah. on afterwards. We, yeah. It, the drink is essential, obviously. I think it, I think it's coming to light, and I think you guys have kind of pushed a half open door further open. Um, I've been approached to do something at um, the military museum in Chester with the Cheshire Regiment. Um, so I, it, it, I think it's out there now. I think there's more people who are aware of, of the potential for it, and hopefully there'll be more people who are prepared to, like you, you guys have done, to volunteer you, their time to go out and, and do something uh, and not necessarily being a sales pitch for a product, but being a sales pitch for the hobby in general. Well, let, let's be honest, as far as museums concerned, uh, you know, it's a free event mm. to run. We don't charge yeah. them to go to their museum and run a war game. It might, or, it might or might not bring more people in the door to the museum, which gains them yeah. a bit more admission money. So they've got nothing to lose by giving it a go, have they? They're, they're um, more and more interested in outreach and how they can bring more people in through the door. And it's just one way that they can try and do that. So um, just to kind of stay on the same subject, but move slightly away from the events themselves. Um, and I thought it would be a good idea to ask you guys what 
you found as exhibitors was the thing that the general public were most interested in and, and what would be what's a good thing for people who want to do this sort of thing at a military museum etc what people come and ask you about the, the table they want a good yeah. looking table if your table doesn't look good they won't get involved at all and now that might be a million figures or it might be a dozen beautifully built buildings or it might be you know one one eye-catching thing at the center of it big model of henry the eighth or whatever but it's got to be something visually that mm. draws them in once you draw them in visually they they will start asking questions and talking to you if it doesn't look good you might as well piss off what we're presenting really is a, is a living diorama isn't it for we them are. you know it used to be that you go to a museum and you'd see a diorama of the dieppe raid that was made somebody put together and you could stand there staring at it for ages and all we're doing actually is, is bringing that diorama out from behind the case mm and put it in a space where you can move the figures around plus the guy who made the diorama is standing next to you mm. so you can say to him what the what am i looking at and uh and he will explain it all that's kind of how i see it yeah so people are interested then in the visual spectacle of what you've got to offer rather than the uh, mechanisms of the game for example you know you often you will see a war game show a very bland table with maybe even just cardboard counters on and the game might be brilliant but the visual spectacle doesn't draw me into it. It might draw others in, but that's what the public want to see. They want the visual experience rather than the game experience. Well, it's what it's what it's what pulls them in, isn't it? Imagine yeah. you're standing in a crowded bar and there are two people across the way and they both make eye contact with you. One of them looks wonderful and luscious and appealing in many, many ways. And the other one looks like Richard Clark. Which one are you going to go? Is, is Mrs. Is Mrs. Riley in? The, is Mrs. Riley in the bar at the same time? <laughs> I'm not making any comments or or, or, or uh, making any assumptions about sexuality. But if you see something that draws you in, you're more likely to go and talk to it than you are to something that repels you. So we've got to make something that, att that attracts people, and that's the visual thing first and foremost. And then after that, you can let all the cats out the bag about what you're really doing that's exactly true that's exactly true once they are engaged and that, that's the hook so it's like a fishing line you've got a hook once they're on the hook once they're on the line then you you can have that conversation about what the game is about how it works we had a lot a lot of guys there from the dutch military they came and had a look because it's visual and then they stayed and have a conversation because it's technical agree that did it did it get to the stage of people where they were having a go or were you encouraging people to roll some dice how did that work uh, very much so um some people look at it and, and wonder what the what on earth is going on so um i would just say to them something like what are you thinking and they would ask some questions about it um and then i'd say well do you want to have a go i'd explain it a bit and say do you want to have a go they say no it's okay i say well all right then but here's the situation i've got the group of guys in this house and i want to try and you know get down this road what do you think i should do uh okay uh well uh, roll me a dice then to see how far they go and then you can get them to roll mm. one or two dice and then if you can kind of get them to pop their cherry in that way if you like then they kind of get into the cycle of what the game's all about they could they can they can um they can enjoy it a little yes. bit yes and then they'll be no longer be wargaming virgins correct Touch for the very first time Kate. yeah that's right yeah could write yeah. a song about it <laughs> so, I mean, don't get me wrong some people want to come along some people do want to come along and play from the beginning and they say yeah. can i have a go uh, you know, but others others are a bit more reticent, a bit more nervous about it, maybe, or don't, or feel that they might make mm. a fool of themselves. So we just look after them a bit. So there's the age-old argument that that 
many times and many shows have covered um, about wargaming display games and interacting with the public. And at those shows, you're interacting with people who are 90% wargamers, aren't you? So is the level of public engagement that you would expect from a game in these circumstances much, much higher? Ah, the importance of us being outward facing is much, much higher. At a war game show, I could turn back to the, I could be running the game. I could turn back to the table, I could be running the game, and somebody will come up and go, Ooh, that's a nice tank. Where yeah. did you buy it? Or I like your hedges or whatever. If you're, if you've got your back to the, the general public at an event like this, they are not going to say anything to you. They're going to carry on and go and look at the medals in the next room. So you've got to make sure that if somebody is running a game, as I was at some points in time, you've got other people around the table who are greeters, mm. meters and greeters, who are there to engage with those people and have those conversations that Nick Nick was having. What are you thinking? What do you reckon? Do you recognise this area? I don't, how did you get here today? I don't know if you came down that road, yeah. but this is the big house you can see over there type of thing. You've got to be outward facing. If you're not, you've lost your audience. So it, it, it is it is different. I would suggest, and actually, Ken, this is something we might be touching on a bit later on, mate, but I'll keep that in my little tucker bag for now. Um, uh, if you're running a game at any War Games event, you should be outward facing. But uh, at this event, you've got to be even more so, this type of thing. Yeah, it's, it's a kind of, you're doubling down, aren't you? Because... Um... At a war game show, you will get people who will come up to you at three o'clock in the afternoon and go, "Now it's bloody moved. It's rubbish. This you're not you're not playing the game." Yeah, because yeah, I'm talking to people like you, you idiot. Um, so there's there's not that pressure, is there, at these public facing events where you really aren't there to play the game. Whereas a lot of some people, I'm not going to say a lot, some people will go to a war game show to play their game. Um, well, I, I would actually say, funnily enough, at the games at Arnhem, we made a point of making sure that the games kept going all day long yeah, and people could see what was happening because otherwise it's a static display and the museum is absolutely rammed mm. wall to wall of static displays, yeah. none yeah. of which people capture people's imaginations. But if you've got something that is animated where things are constantly hap happening all day long, where people are doing things, that that draw people if if there's a fight in the street people come over not because they like fighting but because something is happening and and we have ways fest was was a little bit different again in that regard i've we played i don't know how many well i do know i think we played something like 19 games and maybe this is going up eight by one each time it is, mate, it is, yeah. <laughs> but less than 20 but more than 15 yeah. uh, games that number of points i have, have. Every yeah, time right. I retell the story, I've had another one. <laughs> yeah, I know it was less than 20. I know it's more than 15. And that's how many games. So we, we were playing games, you know, back to back. People were lining up to play, uh, which was really, really lovely. So, yeah, we mm. yeah we actually played more, not less, interestingly. Mm. Yeah, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Well, I, I hope I hope this is just one of a, a, a small number of things that will spur people on to to do this uh on behalf of the hobby and bring more people in because uh that's what we would like at the end of the day do you think that the word or war gaming is an issue for the, the not for us but for the general public in terms of bringing people in that concept of a game and it being linked to war we you know we we all can separate the two items and um, look at the historical perspective but from an outsider's point of view do you think that the name can be an issue i've 
only encountered it once but i did wonder if we would encounter it more and of course you don't know what people don't say you know there are often there are people who just who might just move mm. past and not be drawn in yeah. but i only have one person who asked me about that you know I, I i made the point that you said about actually wargamers are hugely respectful of the history and what we're doing and probably understand it in a in a in a, in a much deeper um highly respectful relevant way i guess uh it's a hard one to have really isn't it some people yeah see it as a you're playing this and it's a game and yet thousands mm. of people die what's what's all that about we had a situation we had a situation at our club many many years ago we we've been meeting at a community center for years and well for 40 since 1983 so 40 years and uh, they had a big uh, community center open day once in the late 80s and they asked us to come along and do a demonstration of what we did so the the people who did weaving baskets or whatever they were weaving their baskets and the people who who did jujitsu were kicking each other in the bollocks over there and they asked us to do wargaming so we were doing a wargaming and, and one of the the uh, people who was on the committee of the of the hall was actually horrified at what we were doing absolutely horrified and asked for us to be banned from the center and we we weren't banned from the center but they took us off all of their literature and they never invited us to their open day again so there are people who are very very sensitive to that and i think largely that's based on a, a position of ignorance they're not really understanding what we're doing they're yeah. assuming that we're making light of people being killed and civilians being killed and children being killed that's not the case at all but they don't want to be informed because they've got a preconceived idea they know what they want to think and that's what they're going to think well my answer is bollocks i don't really care what you think you're not interested anyway you're not my target audience piss off and that was an early entry into war games room 101 <laughs> <laughs> i love it's it it's true isn't it i love Never a rant gonna... i love a rant oh but Yes, uh, I'm very much the same up here in Leeds when we were moving into our new premises uh, and we were filling paperwork out for the council. There was there was very much a discussion yeah. of do we kind of front up to what we do or do we call ourselves uh, an historical mm -hmm. military society or something along those lines? Because when the military use it, they tend to refer to it as conflict simulation or something along those lines. They remove that game yeah. aspect of it. They do. They do. Well, some militaries do. Ours does. And some are just quite happy with the fact war games. It's, it's more about it says more about their preconceived ideas and about what we do. Right. So um, that was a, a nice little in opening section. We've only done 35 minutes. So uh, we'll find out uh, in the second part what Sid's rules are and how many we've broken already. But before we do, um, we've got to we've got to keep on with uh, Rich and doing the features that Nick's already done. Um, so we're going to enter the Venn diagram of Wargaming. Um, and, and this yeah. this is a this is a section where we just talk about how the various parts of the hobby, because it's quite wide ranging, fit in for you personally and what's most important for you. So wargamer, painter, collector, historian. How do you fit in with that, Rich? Um, well, I hate painting. I absolutely <laughs> hate painting. I hate modelling. I loathe it. It's a means yeah. to an end. It's interesting of the three of us, I'm the one sat here while we're recording this, sticking bits together and making bits and pieces. Not because I enjoy doing it, because I've got to get it done. Right. Um, I absolutely loathe modelling and I absolutely hate painting, but I don't believe you can have unpainted figures on the table, yeah. so I've got to do it. Yeah. It's it's the cost 
it's the cost of getting in. If you want to go and see the film, you've got to pay. You've got to pay at the entrance to the cinema, and that's what I'm doing here. So I'm definitely. But that is a means to an end. It's not. It doesn't give me very much pleasure. I do quite like a bit of kit bashing if I'm doing something interesting. One of the, I don't like plastic figures, but I love the way plastic figures allow you to kit bash, yeah. change heads and whatever. I'm I'm just doing these Renaissance people, and I went in the I went in the workshop. Oh, I got a huge box of sprues out, all bits and pieces. Some of them Roman, some of them Renaissance, some of them medieval, and I'm gonna do a load of head swaps and head changes and things like that. So I quite enjoy doing that because it means I've got unique units. Mm. But do I enjoy it? As in, if I've got to do it, I might as well do it and make it a bit interesting. I'd rather not do it at all. I'd rather put out the figures on my desk when I go to bed at night. Mm. And when I come down in the morning, the elves have painted them and they're all there. And if I had to do that, I'd never, ever paint another figure again. Am I a collector? No, although I don't sell out. I never sell anything that, that I paint. Mm. I did once. We put together a fabulous um, squadron of long-range desert group in 28 mil for a game called, a scenario called Operation H which was um, uh, behind the lines in the desert, destroying Rommel's hemorrhoid cream oh, supplies nice. with a long-range desert group. And I thought, I, I really liked them. We had all the trucks in 28 mil, but they were quite big. And I thought, I'm going to have to sell them because they don't fit in. And I got less than the lead value. And Ooh. I had spent forever Ooh. painting these things up, and we won a prize at Salute and whatever. But I got almost nothing for it. But so I am a collector in as much as I don't want to chuck them out because I know as soon as I get rid of an army, I'll think, I've got a great idea for a set of rules. Oh, bollocks, I've got rid of that army. I'm going to have to paint it again. And I hate painting. So I don't want to do that. So I'm, I'm, I'm a gamer and a historian, and I, I, the two are so interwoven in my mind. Mm. I don't really – I can't really separate the two. Uh, for example, we, we went down to Drill just south of Arnhem to look at the Polish – the actions involving the Polish paratroopers who dropped in there. And all the time we're doing that battlefield walk, I'm thinking, okay, that's scenario one over there. This is scenario <laughs> two over here. That'll be scenario three over here. And the, the two are completely interwoven. So if you have a Venn diagram with four bits, I'm in two of them, and I never go in the other ones unless I have to. It's a bit like really awful pubs. You only go in there if the, if the trains aren't running and you can't go somewhere else. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for that, Rich. Um, and uh, we shall have a quick break and we shall be back for part two very shortly. OK, we're back in the room for part two. Uh, the older members of the audience have uh, had time to have a quick wee. Uh, and come back and um, we're, we're in the room and uh, the second part of the show is always our is our big game chat but before we do that um i was listening to the uh the last podcast um yes i do listen to other podcasts but only after i've listened to yorkshire gamer <laughs> to be fair after i've recorded these i don't listen to them because i've i've recorded them i've uh, edited them yeah. and I listen back to them all as, a, yeah. as a whole before it goes out. Yeah. And it's like, I, I know enough. this inside out. I, really, exactly I don't want to hear the same. Thing. You've heard it three times. That's enough. Never again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but on that old cast, uh, the lovely Sydney um, came up with seven rules for podcasting, uh, which I was a little bit um, 
perplexed, not perplexed. It was just, I thought, shall I be thinking about all of that? Um, so I know you guys went through it on the, um, on your show, but I think it might be interesting for, for me to have a go at them. Um, so Rich, you've got them up on the screen there. I have so, I have. Yeah. um, I think it was the first one purpose. Yeah, I think what he was saying there was, what's the point of your podcast? And think about what the point of your podcast is. So if your podcast is about how painting, then you'll say mm. something different to if your podcast is about promoting your board game or if, you're, if your podcast is about having a load of guests on. So what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the point in you being here, Ken? Let me ask you, mate. I'm in the, I'm in the interviewer's chair now. What, what is your raison d'etre, as they would say in La Belle France? Well, it started off, it's always started off as, as me trying to enthuse people about the bigger game, about right. going back to those Peter Gilder, massive tables, loads of figures, um, because in my mind, it just kind of fell out of the media spotlight within Wargaming. And I got to the point, I honestly got to the point where I thought, you know, there's gangs of this coming out and such and such, and you only need 10 figures. And it's and I'm sat there, I'm going, am I the only one who still does this? Mm. And, and me and the guys who come round to my house and play big games on big tables, we, we can't be the only ones left. That was my purpose initially, was to do that. And that's, that's still the main kind of drive behind it. But since so then... Sid's right. So Sid is right. You fulfilled your purpose. You knew what your purpose was. You've stuck to the purpose over 50 episodes. You've got your half century. They're applauding in the pavilion because not only have you had a purpose, you've stuck to it. Well, you know, so you've Sid's right so far. Sydney so far. is right. There's even a, even a, a broken clock is right twice a day, though. So we'll see whether he continues. <laughs> <laughs> but I have I have tried I have tried diversify with yeah. I've done the paintbrush episode and the papal zouave episode, which were not war games related at all. No. but it was a historian and a and a yeah. guy who makes paintbrushes, which yeah. I found absolutely fascinating. Um, but to to have that ability, to, and then I do the Bruise in the Binyard episodes, which are just chaos. Yeah, yeah, they're good fun. Yeah. They're, so I've I've tried to diversify to keep people interested and, and not have the same format that becomes stale and boring. Yeah, I like I like Alex comes up from the Midlands to do it with you. That section he does, like. yeah. So scripting, nice yeah, scripting. Do you script, mate? Do you script or not to script? I I don't know what. Does does scripting mean like directions? Nick enters from the left. No, no. Uh, and so it, I, 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 I mean, I've sent you guys what I would send to every yeah. single person yeah, uh, is yeah. kind of a list of topics. That's that, uh, that's what we would call scripting. So Sid right, okay. literally, Sid will say, "In uh, here's me." He'll say, "Hello, welcome to the show," and then he'll say, "Welcome." And he'll say, Who, what, what stupid names is he going to call us today? So welcome mm. to the, the Morecambe and Wise of Wargaming, uh, Nick Skinner and Richard Clark. And then it'll just say Waffle. Yeah. And so really all he does is produce some sort of show notes to tell us what the big issue is going to be. And But even things like what's going to be the best bit on the bench, we never script that. That's just covered yeah. by the term Waffle. So what we what we got from you is pretty much the same thing oh, as we get okay. from you. 
So that I think you are scripting it in as much as you don't want to. It's not we're not shooting episode forty-seven of Dallas. We don't need to know exactly what we're going to say. <laughs> um, so, but so Sid's right twice. So yeah, but it's um, where it's where passion counts, though, Rich, isn't it? I mean, I listened to a podcast the other day about psychology, and it was so obvious that the whole thing was scripted because it was a conversation between two people, but it was a such a stilted, dry conversation that it lost all the passion. I think if you're getting people onto your podcast tend to talk about things that, that are passionate for them, then actually, mm. you know, that passion should come through. You can't script passion. No. Uh, if you can't talk for five minutes about something you're passionate about, then you're not passionate about it. Uh, so um, I think that's really important. It's scripted is a structure, not a not a, a kind of line by line Shakespeare version. Yeah. Milad, I would, I would proffer. You've got to you've got to remember that for a large part of my adult. Um, um, life. I've been sitting in a room with somebody who's just said no comment for two hours. So to have people talking back is uh, it's rather nice. As long as you don't push us down a metal sta staircase, Ken, and claim that we uh, <laughs> we got hurt accidentally, that's fine. <laughs> uh, Dave, it's Dave Brown who's in the Met, not me. <laughs> Leave it out, you slag. <laughs> I thought that was a reflection on your married life, Ken. When room, somebody says no comment. Every, no comment. Every <laughs> no, that that doesn't last five minutes. <laughs> right. So next script. Oh, uh, duration. Do you think about? Do you think about how long you can keep it up for, Ken? Well, I have this little blue pill that keeps me going for hours and hours and hours. I used to, I used to try and keep, I used to try and keep it under two hours. And then I found that I was having a really good conversation and people were saying to me, oh, I love painting when I'm listening to your podcast. Um, I don't care how long it is. I totally agree. That's exactly what I think. And I'm always surprised when people say, oh, we really want it to be. 25 minutes long or whatever and you think you can't really you can't really cover and we couldn't even cover the big issue in that time let alone what are you doing where have you been where what's your project where's the best bit on the bench we couldn't even do the introduction mm. uh for for 25 minutes so i i'm like you i just think well if it's three hours long and i'm painting today for an hour i'll paint mm. tomorrow for half an hour and and at some point, I'll, it will come to an end. Yeah. It's a bit like an audio book. You don't think, oh, I wish that book was 40 minutes long. Yeah, I think, <laughs> it wouldn't be much to read. I think, it's the, I think it's the interviewer's job. Job's a bit of a strong word. But to lead the, lead the conversation and to know when, you know, it, great, we've finished. We've had enough. And that might be an hour and a half when I'm talking with a guy who makes paintbrushes, or it might be three hours with the one I did with Dave Brown. Um, wow. It just depends. If there's something to talk about and the audience are interested, then there's a pause button. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I'm, I, I think the comment that you, you saw was from America. Is that right? About them. Oh, my God. They do two hours. Yeah, 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 that's right. And that was bollocks. 
We don't. We never do two or three hours. Mm. It was a comment that used people used to make about meeples and miniatures when that was on. Oh my god! It and Henry, Henry on view from the veranda. You know, you t you had to take your sleeping bag when you were going to listen to that because he used to go on for several days. But I enjoyed it. Yeah. It didn't bother me how yeah. long it was. It was grand. Yeah, exactly. And, and let's face it: if you're American, you can leave the first hour and forty-five minutes, turn up for the last fifteen minutes, and take the glory. Oh, did I say that? Oh, you may say that. I I couldn't possibly comment, Ken. You naughty boys. <laughs> oh, although I did very much enjoy a World War One uh, uh, an American World War One war gaming podcast, uh, which was uh, funny to say the least. But there we go. Uh, Alex Sutherland has got the uh, the beef with that particular one. Uh, so what's next? Oh, content. Content. What can I? This, this is Sydney's notes. How do I keep it topical? What can I say that is interesting? Well, you, you know, you, you're thinking about that because, you know, we've just won two World Wars and one World Cup, and and we've been asked on because of our topicality. Mm. We are the men of the moment. <laughs> <laughs> are, are we indeed? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my dog's arrived. Yay. He believes so. Hello, Freddie. Say hello. I think, I think if, there is, if there is a weakness with my podcast, it's topicality because I have my guest plans so far in the future that if something comes up, it's very hard for me to slip in hey, uh, uh, a quick one while um, uh, everything else is going on. So it's my, my podcast is not very reactive. It's not a, it's not a news podcast. It's not a up-to-date things podcast. I mean, Jesus. I mean, George Nafsinger... He what seventy six? I think he was. He's not the latest news, George. But I, I, I'm keen to record some of those older voices, if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that you, explains why we're on. I think I think this comes back to purpose, mate. You do what you want to do, mm. and if people want to join you on that journey, that's great. And the fact that so many people do tells you you're doing something right. And bollocks to the naysayers. Exactly. That's what I say. In fact, it's I'm a variety, isn't it? People like a structure. People, I think, people like to have. You know, they know the segments of the of the of the of the podcast, but they don't know each time exactly what you're going to be discussing. So it's like we do best bit on the bench. Yeah. You know, you know that best bit on the bench is there. It's nice to have the structure for best bit on the bench, but you don't know what we're going to talk about on best bit of the bench. No, and to be honest, no. neither do we. Uh, no. Still five minutes beforehand most of the time. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the quiz has been going since day one, um, and. Yeah. They're virtually the same questions, but each one of them is a mini conversation starter. And some episodes we might we might just go straight past a question, and other episodes we might be talking about fish and chip shops in Skipton for ten minutes. I, I really, I really don't mind. I, I I love things like the quizzes. I think they're great fun. I mean, we we I mean we've got one called the Defenestration of Lard, yeah. which is the same as um, which really is the Room One Hundred and One uh yeah. so you know what idea do you want to chuck out the window of wargaming and uh i love it we've only done it once because we hardly have any guests <laughs> I think he did so, it twice, three times did he it's brilliant i've done all I, I did all the um i did all the theme music and everything it was fabulous evil laughter the whole lot and you hear somebody being thrown out the window it's brilliant um but but we've only done it once whereas you can do it in every show and i, I love that bit i think i think they're really funny mm. So what's uh, the next one? Where are we up to? Number? Oh, um, guess when to have guests and when not to have guests. 
Well, that's that's a question more for us because we rarely have them. So when do we bring them in? But you do it all the time. And and I think what you do as well is that you have a variety of guests. I mean, I know you've got this Nick and I on them and, and we, we turn up to the opening of a paper bag <laughs> with a... With, with a, yeah. Yeah. a crisp yeah. Um, whereas the, the, you get guests on who aren't on the merry-go-round of wargaming and who appear everywhere and people go, oh, Christ, not those two bloody idiots mm. again. You get people on talking about brushes. Now, we might, it's a bit like the Women's Institute. My, my missus will go to the Village Women's Institute and I'll go, what, what did they have on the Zoom show? They had a chimney sweep telling us about chimney nice. sweeping. And I said, for Christ's sake, and she'll go, actually, it was really interesting. And she has a point. You wouldn't want to hear about chimney sweeps every week, but you might want to hear about them once because it's something you've never even thought about or whatever. So the guy who does brushes might do chimneys with them. But <laughs> you'll have to ask him. Very slowly. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I, th- I, I, I chose at the start to have it guest-based because I didn't want to so, – sometimes I can get – you know, I've got war game stories, 40 years of war game stories, but how long can I tell them on my own without asking somebody else? Um, and some, and you know, some podcasts where it's a, not, not you guys, I have to say, I, I remain interested in, in, in what you do because you do those areas that are new every time. But sometimes when you're listening to the same guys with the same opinions about the same games every week, it, it can, it mm. can, I think that has a, has a limited lifespan to the podcast, whereas if each one has yeah. a different guest, you might go, oh, I don't want to listen to Dave Brown. I, I don't like him. Uh, obviously, you you no. two won't listen to that one, but um, he didn't slag you off. He didn't well, slag you off much. Me. He was uh, no. Well, I, um, I did listen to it actually, and I know that there were legions of housewives out there listening to their favourites. So that's the that's uh, that's always good. But I tell you what, you raise a really good point. I mean, I've listened to podcasts where people are talking about their own product all the time. One of the things we really don't do very much on the podcast is talk about two fat lardies products. Mm. We tend to be just talking about the hobby generally, and I think that. I think that's a conscious decision. It's not a bloody advertising, you know. It's not. It's not a paid-for mm. advert type program. Hey, do you like shoes? <laughs> if so, two fat lardy shoes are the best shoes in town. That's not what we're about, you know. We're just interested in talking about wargaming, and I think that keeps it relevant. And I think the way you do it is is the same mm. approach. What? Who would be interesting? Yeah. Who would be Who would be interesting to have on? And and you get on a variety of guests as a result. So I think you'd, you, all these rules, you're doing them, mate, without knowing it. You kind of, it's almost I'm kind like of surprising yourself here. Yeah, it's like that program Kung Fu. You're already the master without going through the novice sort of levels. You're already there. You, you, it's the, you've, you've got the power within you. Listener input, though, Ken, do you ever get any? And if so, you're in Yorkshire. Yeah. Yorkshiremen are not famous for respecting the views of other people. I say what I like and I like what I say. Do you get listener input and how do you respond to it, Ken? Um, they do. I have a few people who come like, it's all right, that lad. It's all right. And that yeah. that is the equivalent of a platinum medal. If anyone in Yorkshire says to you, it's all right, that lad, it's all right, then yeah. you know you do pretty well. Um I have to say, similar to yourselves, I, I get feedback, but I get less feedback than I would think from the numbers of people who listen. 
and you can clearly see that from the number of downloads um and the number of views on youtube etc you can you can physically count that but the the amount of um actual interaction is is fairly limited and i get more interaction at a show speaking to people who will come up and say oh this is the podcast it's a lot of shit um and then i yeah, punch yeah. them and then they they say oh yeah it's brilliant actually um there's there's that aspect um but i, I you know i'll get i maybe get four five six comments on the, right. the the audio one and a similar amount on the uh youtube just general questions really i think there i think there is a limited amount of feedback and when you guys were talking about that um on on the podcast i was going yeah exactly the same for me yeah, yeah. But in a way, that is good that people aren't throwing rocks at you in the street because yeah. that's the type of feedback that you really know what they think. Uh, and it's also good that people would metaphorically throw rocks at you if they really hated what you were doing. They'd put in yeah. your notes, Ken, that's shite. Hmm. Stop doing it. Yeah. The fact they're not doing it is an implicit buy-in signal that they are enjoying it. Surely, I don't know, Nick, you're, you're, the, you're the psycho babble expert. Well, I was, I was, the, the, the thing that's in my head is that is, is about restaurants. You know, if you have a negative restaurant experience, you are eight times more likely to tell people about that mm. experience than you are about an okay or good one. Um, so I is think is that you know, based on your eight meals a day? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My eight breakfasts. When I get to the seventh <laughs> breakfast, I'm ready to give a bit of negative feedback. Uh, but but generally, by the eighth one, I'm back on track again. So what, I guess what that means is that is that the fire alarm's going off. We should all get out. No. <laughs> Rich, <laughs> Rich's trousers are on fire. <laughs> is that, is that, is that, it must be time for seventh breakfast. My country alarm. <laughs> I'm having so much fun, Ken. I've nearly weaned myself. It's the moisture detector has gone off. <laughs> um, so I think what that means is that um, you know negative comments are overrepresented. Therefore, because you know people, people if they hate it, you tend to get extreme views on one end. People hate it, and they tend to be balanced out by other extreme views on the other end, who think you're the best thing since sliced bread. And what you get in the middle of that is the silent majority, mate. Absolutely, yeah. people that that everything's all right, quite happy with it, like it, keep listening. Uh, recommend it to other people but that i think that's what we get quite a lot of in those in those comments it is that it's like on twitter isn't it we were saying about this rich yeah. the other day you know you get you only get extreme views one way or the other you don't yeah. tend to get moderate yeah. views uh on on social media it's an extremist place so we did guests what what's next i don't know ken i've i've uh my dog's been <laughs> whinging and i've been too busy trying to find out guests is uh listener input we did yeah. that as yeah, well we, didn't we? That. we did that as well uh, editing, editing. Now, I'm not going to read out Sid's comment about editing. So when we did purpose, he says, what do you want to say? And then he said script, controlling what you say, how to keep it relevant. And when it came to editing, he said, bleep nose. <laughs> so he literally has no clue about editing because I do ah. it all. <laughs> so I suppose the answer is, do you edit with a heavy hand? Or do you accept the fact that, that Richard Clark has just said something rude and leave it in there? Or I don't know. I don't really know what he means. Yeah, I very rarely, very rarely um, edit a big chunk of content. Um, mm. um, I will tend to cut out a few coughs and splutters. And um, if somebody's yeah. 
like I do. I can be I can be like a, a 50cc moped trying to get started with a thought sometimes. And it'll take me... <laughs> and then I'll come in with what I'm going to say. Um, and I might cut that down a little bit to make me look cleverer than, than what I actually am. It doesn't no, work. It doesn't work. <laughs> to be fair, I don't care. Um, but no. um, And then occasionally, a couple of times, somebody has said something um, and they've kind of reflected on it later on and gone, you know what, I'm not too keen with that going out. And I'm fair enough. Um, and then, um, but it's very, very rare yeah. that I cut sections of, um, of conversation out unless it's, you know, we've got a problem with the signal or something and, and you can't quite tell what, what's going on. I, I, I take the same approach, really. You just, you try, you, you've got to be true to yourself, haven't you? If that's what you've said. That's what you've said, and if that's the way you say it, that's the way you say it. People don't like the way you say things. There's something wrong with them, not wrong with you. Um, but, I mean, obviously, <laughs> if people make racist remarks, <laughs> yeah. you don't want it to be on there. But I mean, if you stammer, that's the way you talk. If you know, if 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 I hiccup every thirty seconds because I've got Tourette's, that's who I am. So uh, not being true to that seems a bit artificial to me. But yeah, so the the final one that was it. Editing that's a lot, mate. So so you do them all. You're there in many ways. You've taken the Sydney challenge and won. Can I now put approved by Sydney Roundwood? I there'll be uh, like uh, an ISO number that I can put on the bottom of my podcast. Yeah, I think that's Sydney's ring of confidence. SRC 001 approved. Well, just, yeah, that's right. A Sid Ring show. <laughs> uh, oh, dear. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for, for, for leading me through those. That was uh, a little bit of fun. Um, and we'd all, we always talk. I've, ne I've never hosted I've never hosted a podcast before, you've so done, it's great done, fun done. to do, mate. I, I felt like Markham Parkinson. I, I, like to, <laughs> I like to bring people into the fold. Alex. Um, so we always talk about big games in, in this particular section, whether you bloody like it or not. Um, yeah. And, um, and Nick yeah. gave his definition um, of, a, of a big game um, when he was on uh, in episode seven. So what what when you I say big game, Rich, what comes to mind for you? What's your big game definition? I've probably got a couple and they're, they're slightly conflicting. The big game is a game representing a big battle. Now, for me, that could be the classic type of game that I played at Peter Gilder's War Games mm. Holiday Centre up in, in Yorkshire back in the 1980s. Um, I went up there in, uh, I think it was 84, um, and uh, we, we did a mixed week of Napoleonics, World War II, ACW, and I was really looking forward to his Sudan game, which was brilliant. And he flogged it, and he just started doing um, General Custer, 7th Cavalry, and he only had about oh, 10 no. figures. So that was a bit of a letdown after really looking forward to the, um, the Sudan. But... Yeah, so you've got the great big games like that. But also, I mean, we've refought the Battle of Amiens in 1918 on on maps, on mm. World War One historic maps that I've, we've got in the Lard Library here, quite a large map selection. And I've taken them to the printer and got them reprinted. And we've fought huge Kriegspiels involving millions of men. So for me, that's every bit uh, a big game as the classic loads of figures on the table. And that's only happening on on a map the size of, well, Nick's dinner plate. Yeah. 
So there's there's kind of there's kind of different versions depending on how you look at it. And that that game that we did with Amiens, we had about 25, 26 players. Some of them uh, playing core commanders. Some of them playing a, um, the the chief of staff. Some of them playing Ludendorff and Hindenburg and so on and so forth. And you can have a huge number of players, but not have mm. any figures at all. So that's a big game for me. But but so is the classic. The classic um, huge game on a table that mm. I know you love, and um, you know, we, we all we all love those games sometimes for different yeah. reasons. But very similar, very similar answer to Nick, um, who kind of put right. uh, okay. the different aspects of big games together. Uh, it, but it's always for me, it's always going to be that draw of the of the large number of figures um, that brings me to a to a. a a definition of a big game, but everyone everyone is different. No problems at all with that. Um, but there is a there is a draw to going bigger because I don't know if you've noticed, but I have. Um, a lot of your rule sets tend to be expanded by people, um, not just me. Uh, if the Lord spares us, as, as uh, we had a chat, me and Nick, and I think you've seen one of my If the Lord spares games at Sheffield. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I've, Sheffield, I've yeah, taken it to Brilliant. If the Lord Spares Us a lot. Um, and, uh, <laughs> there's, there's, the, uh, there's the classic big cock chain of command for the people. Yeah. Well, we, we we played a game of big cock, and I know you're a man oh, who likes oh, big yeah. cock, Ken, but um, we, played, we, played, uh, we played a game at a local... There was a local war games cafe that's opened up, they... It's an amazing blend of cafe and mm. wargaming, hence the name. So uh, we thought, well, let's try and support. It's a kind of old industrial <laughs> unit. Yeah, it is, actually. Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, and we thought, well, let's support them. <clears throat> so we hired three tables for a whole day, and we did Big Cock. And on the British side, we had 17 platoons. Oh, nice. Um, so I think probably about 12 of them were infantry. We had a couple of recce troops. We had a whole squadron of armour um, with Cromwells because it was a, a reconnaissance unit. And we um, <clears throat> we counterbalanced that with an appropriate number of Germans. So, I mean, it's a huge game. I mean, there's, there's there's no way around the fact that how long was the table? It was about 24 foot long yeah. by, by 6 foot wide. Mm. So a big, big game of the, of the type that you would know and love. Mm. And... Um, all of those units weren't on the table at all times because we had phase lines and once 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 some units had taken a certain phase line, once once one company had taken a phase line, that then triggered the release of, of other companies coming up behind them. But we had a lot of troops on the table. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of people take those games and, uh, and do different things with them. And I think that depends on the rule set, how how suitable they are for that. So, for example, with Sharp Practice or with Infamy, which are card-driven systems, they, they have their own level of limitation whereby you can't expand them too much. And that's good. They're not designed mm -hmm. to, <laughs> to be big battle games. But with things like Chain of Command, where you, you're using the command dice, mm -hmm. and same with Dave's O Group, which uses... Uh, um, a set of command dice, great idea. Not sure we got it, but um, uh, that—that's the type of thing you can upscale very, very easily by just having extra players, extra commands. 
So Kiss Me Hardy also, Rich, is one of those games. You know, we've yeah, refought yeah. Trafalgar with Kiss Me Hardy. Yeah. It doesn't get any bigger than Trafalgar. We're not the only ones that have done that, though. I think there's four mm. or five people, at least, that I know of that have yeah. used it to refight huge battles. Um, and again, you, you know, it's, it's designed for squadron actions, I guess. Um, but equally, people do one on one and fleet. So it's, yeah, you, you you do have to make changes when you're when you're playing a game at one level, taking it to a bigger level. Mm. Um, sometimes that's around playability. Sometimes it's around just just smoothing out mechanisms that make the game move along more rapidly. Um, but you know, it's fine. That's absolutely fine. Mm. It's um, it, get what you want from it. Once you once you've you know, in, in some ways, as a, as a as a rules writer, I guess once you once you once you purchase the rules, you can do what you want with them. Mm. You can stick them in a cupboard and never use them, or you can uh, play them play them as they are, straight written. Or you can say, you know what, I like that bit, but I don't like that bit. That's all right. That's fine. Do what you want. Burn them and dance around them. I think <laughs> if you hate two fat lardies rules, the best way to express that is mm. to buy them in large numbers from me. Then set a light to them, dance around them naked. Yeah, nothing, yeah. nothing upsets me more. So, two fat lardies haters out there, get buying, get burning, <laughs> and and upload it to YouTube. <laughs> I think um, is is a necessary. Uh, yeah. Mind you, I don't, a lot of a lot of naked middle aged men dancing around fire. It's um, it's a bit ripping. It's, really. um, it's fairly normal in Yorkshire, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Call it Thursday night. <laughs> yes. Thursday night now, working men's club, that is. Game, game of snooker and a naked dance around a fire. Wow, what a way to go. Yeah, oh dear. Uh, right, changing tack rapidly. Um, <laughs> you've, you've got um, Dave Brown on board with the, the, the Ricewitz Press. Um, so um, yeah. a couple of questions, read Dave, uh, that I didn't cover in my yeah. podcast um, with him. Um, yeah. and, and the first one has got to be, where has the housewives' favourite moniker come from? The housewives, mate. The housewives themselves gave it to mm. him. And uh, we simply picked up on that and took it from there. So in the kind of the, the, the Lardy's post bag when you, you get all your stuff through yeah. in the morning, yeah. it's like Knickers. it's like yeah, underwear yeah. for Dave, underwear Dave. for Dave, that's, that's underwear, Dave. All, 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 hang on, order for chain of command, underwear for Dave. Yeah. That, is that how it yeah. goes? That's exactly it. You can tell I've got to the point where I can tell by squeezing the packet just what type of lingerie <laughs> it is. <laughs> is, <laughs> is it frilly? Is it fluffy and spongy, you know? Is it those sort of uh, incontee pants mm. that some of the elder women send yeah. in? It's, uh, <laughs> it's certainly opened my eyes. It has certainly opened my eyes, Ken, to the world of lingerie. It's, it... um, uh, yeah, he's a very popular man, very popular man with the housewives. And uh, it's, uh, it's a, little, a little trophy. Uh, a, a group of women's institutes uh, got together and paid for and sent it in for him. And we've got it on a shelf just up there. Oh, that's lovely. Housewife's favourite, Dave Brown. Yep. Lovely. Scratch and sniff at his favourite, mm. at his best. Oh, God, no. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. So, so um, was Dave, Dave kind of wandering around aimlessly, homeless, looking for work when you found him and you brought him up like, he uh, was. like an orphan? He was on a park bench and uh, he had a brown paper bag in his yeah. hand. And I thought, I, I recognise that man. And at one time he was a very smart, dapper, 
inspector, no less, in the Metropolitan Police. And I thought, my God, times must have become hard for him. So I went over and spoke to him and he he was crying and very emotional, clearly upset. Mm. And I said, what's wrong, Dave? And he said, I've got a great idea for a game called Pickett's Charge. He said, it's American Civil War. He said, but nobody wants to publish it. I'm, I'm not loved anymore. I said, Dave, you are. I know you are. There are millions of housewives out there who are, who are backing you all the yeah. way. And I think just talking to me gave him the fillet that he needed. It yeah. cheered him up. And, and we had a look at the document. And uh, we, you know, we got him to do it again in, in pen this time, not crayon. Crayon's fine, but it's not perfect for editorial yeah. purposes. And, um, and and in a way, I like to think we've taken Dave under under our collective arms, under our little wings, and helped him helped helped him grow from the gnarled up, wizened acorn that he was into a fine, tall, sturdy oak tree that he has become an oak tree in the world of game design. It, it is a fine thing that you have done for that man. He he was lost. He was lost, and now he has been found. Yeah. He's wonderful for his age as well, considering. Yeah, it does. He does. We, we, we had a fabulous time at his 70th birthday down in London. We went to the Bow Street Tavern, which we thought was appropriate for an old, old uh, metropolitan police officer like yeah. Dave. And uh, he loved it. He loved it, mate. He loved every oh, minute of it. Care for the elderly as well. I think, I think you're doing a wonderful job. In the community, yeah. mate. In yeah. the community. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. He didn't look 70 when I spoke to him. He's doing, he's doing very well. Is that. <clears throat> Is that Southern Water, is that? He has a filter on his webcam. Does he? He does. He does. Yeah. And as well as, as well as lingerie, I think a large amount of makeup comes through for him as well. And I think I think he moisturises regularly. Excellent. But, well, yeah, who doesn't? Uh, and that's clearly Dave Brown not talking to any of us ever again after, after that little bit of the section. <laughs> But, but Richard, you have spoken about in the past your your dream to write Franco-Prussian War set of rules. Yeah, I have actually. Yeah, occasionally Dave and I speak together about about us actually getting together and creating a love child of wargaming, which um, <laughs> which would be a Franco-Prussian War set based on something like General Darmay yeah. too, hopefully. But whether that ever happens, I don't know. It's like. It's like I remember having, I remember seeing Melinda Messenger on Fort Boyard and thinking, do you know what? I could get together and work with Melinda, but it never happened, mate. It never happened. And probably for the There's best. a couple of memories there that have just come back to me. Uh, yeah. It, anyway, moving on rapidly. Um, so we're going to take another break for the audience now, and we're going to be back very, very shortly uh, when we are going to... Um, Put Richard through the Yorkshire Gamer Quiz. Well, welcome back to section three, which is the features section. Um, we've moved things around a little bit for this episode, but uh, we had to have the quiz. And back in episode seven, Nick scored 60%. Uh, and that's 60% Yorkshire Gamer, so... Uh, that could be a winning score or a, or a losing score, depending on which way round you want to look at things. And I really don't mind. Um, so, Rich, you are ready to go with the quiz? Yeah. Um, most 
most answers are yes or no or um one or the other uh, there's a massive regional bias and um just to be aware of uh, but other than that if we want to have a chat about any of the questions at any of the times we certainly can do and and by all means nick pitch in if you uh, wish to take the uh, mick out of one of rich's answers yeah do i have to act as his brief and advise no comment from time to time <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. just randomly yeah, no comment just say no comment rich to everything <laughs> <laughs> For the benefit so, of the uh, tape. <laughs> for the benefit of the tape, the Yorkshire gamer is smacking Rich's head on the table. Yeah. That that noise in the background is not is not uh, Constable Jones helping me with the interrogation. Mm. Uh right. So um I just for regular listeners, I one of the questions has changed since Nick did it. So um, I've, I've put that question back in so that the final score uh, will reflect uh, how Yorkshire Gamer Rich is compared to Nick. So uh, uh, if, if you suddenly go, oh, where's that come from? Uh, then uh, you'll, know, you'll know why. Right, so question one, Rich, go big or go home? Uh, go big. Big. Excellent. Question two. Contrast paints, are they great or are they a gimmick? They're communism. Yeah, they're evil. Yeah. No, they're, oh. they're a gimmick. They're awful. Excellent. I've, I've never used them, but on the basis that I have to make a binary choice between the two, they are the spawn of Satan. Brilliant. That's what I like. Decisive. I think, Nick, you said they are great and they're a gimmick. Yeah, that's still true, I think. Yeah, and I gave you half a point for being a smart twat. Exactly. <laughs> See the, yeah. the two-faced yeah. political lizards that I have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. You get none of that with me. I'm straight <laughs> yeah. down the line, mate. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, so, paintbrushes, are you going super expensive down south, Windsor and Newton, or yeah. Yorkshire-made value pro-art? Well, I hate to admit this, I use both. I The most recent ones I bought were really, really cheap and nasty. So if I want a brush for dry brushing, if I want a brush for base coating, I will use cheap and nasty. If I want a brush for detailed, I'll, I will use Winsor & Newton Series 7. In the ratio, I probably buy 20 cheap brushes to every good one. Um, so I, you're probably going to have to give me half because yeah. I probably use the one brush 20 times as much as the, the cheap ones. So half, mate. I'm, I'm halfway between the two. Have you got a DRS, Ken, or a kind of VAR to help with yeah. some of these decisions? Well, some not of these really. I'm, 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 I'm going to say that Pro Art are superior to Windsor and Newton. So I'm going to say okay. I treated myself I treated myself to a Pro Art Renaissance Sable brush uh, yesterday. Ah. Well, I've just discovered a company called Rosemary's Brushes, and uh, I've got one on my desk. I have in my hand a Rosemary's brush, and I, they're cheaper than Windsor & Newton Series 7, but they're Kalinsky Sable, and they're really nice, and they're about half to two-thirds of the price. Yeah. So I have I have made a change to these recently, and they keep the point really well. I've had yeah. that. That's been my primary brush for months now. It's really yeah. good. Yeah. So the so, question is, does he get a point or not for that? No, I only get half. I really, uh, really yeah, got half. So you to decide half. how many points. It's for Ken to decide how many points you get. Yeah, but I, I can read Ken's mind. I gave him half just to keep things. 
going because we're we've been going for four minutes and we're only on question four. We're normally finished by now. Hurry um, up, Kate. <laughs> that's your fault. You're the host. Um, yeah, true. I've got no control. I've never have had any control over it. Um, so, uh, question four: ninety-six figures. Is that an army or a pike block? <laughs> well, it's a force. Um, it, it, uh, it's it's another it's another skanky army. Yeah, it's an army. Uh, six by four. Is that a big game or a small game? Table six by four. You broke up, mate. Sorry. A six by four table. Is that a big game or a small game? Small game. Controversial. Um, would it's a you normal choose? Game. Yeah, no, normal no game. That's why I said it was. No game. games are smaller. Yeah. It was yeah. an average game, and somebody got very upset about the fact that I said that. <laughs> uh, right. Question six: Point-based army or historical order of battle? Historical. Good lad. Right, um, we're going to go. We're going to come back to Nick on this question because of the way he answered it first time round. But we'll start with Rich. Um, you mix in your paint. Do you want yeah. a wet palette or an old bit of MDF? I've got my nan's old saucer here. Look Does that count? That. that is how you do your paint, <laughs> Nick. Yes. What did I you say last time round? Then just got you. Just got a wet palette. Like the week before, yeah. and and you you you, I think you put it forward for best bit on the bench, and everyone said that's a load of bollocks. So it got <laughs> they got rid of it. But are you still wet palleting? I'm gonna I'm gonna ask my lawyer for advice. The truth is, no, I'm not wet palleting. Um, I've I've got a wet palette, and uh, every now and then I think, ooh, my sponge must need moistening. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, the truth is, I just tend to put a bit of paint on a blodge of uh, whatever I'm using as, an, as a kind of mat and paint up from that. But I think the reason for that and the, what I'm going to put forward as my defence, if I feel that that needs defending, is that um, I don't paint often enough and the wet, my wet palette does dry out in between in between yeah. it. So it's kind of I've kind of started on it, but given up on it mostly. But I still think if I did a big run of painting, I might use a wet palette. I'm exactly the same. I, I'm actually exactly the same. I, I've got, I was going to say I've got my wet palette here, but it's only the top bits. I don't know where the bottom <laughs> bits are. So when I'm just doing a, a quick bit of painting today, and I'm not going to do it tomorrow, I'll use my nan's old saucer. The sad yeah. thing is my nan, uh, we threw my nan away because she was oh. um, burnt at the stake, actually. Oh, but I kept her saucer. I didn't keep her. I don't know what that says about me as a bad person. Her ashes went, but we kept a saucer. Was it a cat saucer? No, no, it's just a saucer. <laughs> I think she had sandwiches on it or whatever yeah. you do, really. Well, I, I hate to tell you, Rich, but your your wet palette is just actually a box. Yeah, There's it is. No, it's not it. even a box. It's just two bits of plastic. I don't know where the rest of it is. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit repulsed and worried, Rich, that some of that scatter we use on the table might be your nan. <laughs> might be my nan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's nice to remember people in ways that you feel are appropriate. Gets a trip to Holland every now and again. Yeah. Check out for gold teeth when you're putting that scatter <laughs> on. <laughs> oh, dear me. We've just been a pacemaker. We've just been. <laughs> oh dear! Yeah, that monetization <laughs> thing that we that we didn't talk about in the last part—that's gone. 
I feel quite proud, actually, when uh, it's usually the Bruise of the Binyard episodes. Um, but I feel quite proud when YouTube refused to monetize my stuff. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Who are they to be the uh, moral upholders of society these days? Anyway. Exactly. exactly. Some of the stuff that I see on YouTube, and I think, that that's monetized, but me swearing a little bit every now and again isn't. Uh, yeah. Anyway, never mind. Uh, so we are on question eight. Um, undercoating figures, rich, black or white? Never white. Uh, however, sometimes I use grey. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes I even use brown. If I'm doing a unit of um, British World War Two, I'll just spray them humble shitty mm. earth brown mm. yeah I'll use brown. and take it from there but default black never white never white excellent nice to see um you're offered a hot drink would you go for yorkshire tea or dirty mucky coffee i wouldn't actually go for any tea because i hate tea i would always go for coffee um but largely i try and avoid hot drinks and go for something with a little bit of added benefit oh bit of fizz awful lovely <laughs> Bit of cooking lager. Nice to see. Absolutely. Uh, question 10, halfway through. Um, war game units, if it's historically accurate, do you prefer them tightly packed or socially distanced? That's really interesting. I see. I hate, I hate painting, as I've already mentioned. So when I look at your pipe blocks that you've done for the Italian wars, mine are much more socially distanced, only because I hate painting bloody <laughs> figures. So I've like got three to a base, two to a base, rather than your three to a base. But tightly packed. Yours look so much better. And every time I get my pipe blocks out, I think of you, Ken, and, and aspire to be like you, mate. Oh, that's very kind of you, thank you. I don't know whether to be happy or sad. <laughs> right, moving on. Uh, would you like a two-hour club game or a weekend monster game? I'd, well, I prefer a two-hour club game because I get extraordinarily bored over two days. <laughs> is that is that down I to confirm that? Is that down to the volume of drink on the Saturday night? Probably, yeah. yeah, it doesn't help, does yeah. it? I just, two day events leave me cold. I really, it's it's like the old thing, you know, you have a bottle of wine and you think, hey, that was really good. I really enjoyed that bottle of wine. And you have a second one and you think that I enjoyed that even better. But having a third one is not a good idea. Having the third one will not make it even better yeah. than the second one. And, and having a fourth one definitely won't. And the second day of any War Games event for me is, is the third and fourth bottle of wine that I really do not want. Thank you for that exploration of the law of diminishing marginal returns. You can now flag this as an economics podcast. Okay. Yeah, perfect description. Maybe. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll be competing with Richard Barr at the top of the uh, <laughs> economics podcast. Um, so, um, number twelve is is the is the Nick Skinner question, the, the question that was oh. introduced specifically oh. for Nick and has stayed in the podcast ever since. And that is avocado. Are they just <laughs> posh, mushy peas? Yeah, they are. Oh, they brilliant. are brilliant. Are you still eating avocados, Nick, or have you seen the light? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amongst, amongst many thousands of other things. Yeah, I still like avocado. Scrambled egg uh, on toast no. with bacon and avocado and some fresh chilies. That is my go-to breakfast, mate. That is sick. 
it's lovely really really nice the different the trouble is and you have to be really careful you have avocado out in public not not only because you might be seen eating it but also because what happens is when you go to a restaurant they serve you the breakfast or you go to i don't know somewhere and they've got a posh breakfast they serve you scrambled egg and avocado the issue is the avocado is cold and scrambled egg can easily be made cold by the avocado Ooh. and nothing i hate more than cold scrambled egg mm. so it's a great breakfast but it's got to be enjoyed at that moment where the egg is still hot and the avocado hasn't yet made it cold there you I'm go. not even i'm not even involved in this conversation yeah. it's insanity it's it's you can tell that he is from the south whereas i only live in the <laughs> south that's the difference it's uh, it's uh, yeah, it's like Saturday morning kitchen for war gamers. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, no, I just tell you, you know, sour bread toast. Sour bread toast is a, is a southern oh. thing, Ken. I bet you don't have that up there. Oh. Sour bread toast, scrambled egg, avocado, fresh chili, cup of Yorkshire tea. Yep. To placate the the, the locals. Is that uh, is that like is uncle, that like mate. four day old bread? Is that is yeah. that what sourdough bread is? Like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he, it's it's like slicing a piece of car in a tube and then putting your breakfast on top of that. No, sourdough's lovely, really nice. Yeah, it doesn't sound very nice, I have to say. It's not it's <laughs> something I've, I've ever come across. But there we go. Right, because uh, I thought I had, I thought I had an avocado line that I could draw on the map, whereas north of that line, no avocado. Yeah. South of that line, avocado fest. And then Henry Hyde come on uh, on the show and said he didn't like avocados, and he's as far south as you can oh, go. I can't believe that. Actually, I, I would have I would have put Henry up there as king of the avocados. Almost. Yeah, I'd have a word with Henry. He's obviously mm. off his mind. Yeah, uh, no. I, I I would have thought he would have been like president of the Brighton and District Avocado Appreciation Society or or something similar, but clearly not. Clearly not. Mm, no. I'm, di I'm disappointed, Henry. If you're listening, I'm disappointed in you. But there we go. Anyway, question thirteen. What you find out about people? Yeah. What you find out about people is remarkable, isn't it? Right. There we are. Thirteen. Unlucky for, unlucky some. for some. Everyone in all the episodes has answered this question the same way, Rich. So there's there's no okay. pressure on you here whatsoever. Um, <laughs> and and that is round dice spherical dice are they allowed or banned on your table i love them i really really love round dice do you no <laughs> i can't think of anything more bloody stupid I, I if round dice were put on my table i'd go down the workshop and get a club hammer out and smash it excellent excellent the the 100 record is kept i do have one somewhere <laughs> under here because somebody somebody oh it's here somebody approached me at a show you sure that's around dice somebody mate? approached me at a oh, show right. and said there you go ken there's a round dice <laughs> and and as a purely scientific experiment I, i've tried to roll this about 50 60 times and it has never come up on a number it always comes up <laughs> it always comes up somewhere between two numbers so well that isn't the dice then that is a subutio it ball. is with a weight in it and some numbers on uh so thank you uh ian fraser out there that has become a, a major talking point at the yorkshire game of war gaming rule and it rattles i don't know if you can hear that 
Bit shit. It rattles. It must be weighted. It is, but because but because it's not fixed weighted, it rolls around randomly inside, <laughs> and you have to hope right. that it that it stops somewhere where there's a number above it. Um, right. right. It probably rattles so that so that you can use it if you are blind or partially sighted. Does it? Oh yeah, you could play that that special football and stuff with it, couldn't you? You could. Where it have a bell in it. Your cricket, blind oh. cricket has a, the ball has yeah, a bell in it. I never thought yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. A, right, um, I'll yeah. post it off tomorrow. Uh, right, so uh, this is the changed question, everyone. This is the changed question. Don't have a no. don't have don't have a heart attack. This is the this is the changed question. Um, question fourteen. Um, this might need some explaining, but would you pay thirty three pence for a communist? What? Would I pay thirty three pence for a communist? For a yes. communist. But this is why this is why it came out of the quiz because people didn't understand it. No, no, I wouldn't pay anything for a communist. What was it? Was it what was it? Kay? It was a reference to yeah. What? So I'd, I'd put a, I'd put a, ma a massive game on at um, at triples, and we did the Sante prison raid. Um, from, from Vietnam, right. where they um, successfully rescued quite a number of American airmen. And um, right. at the time, SHQ miniatures, if, if you know, remember them, 20 mil manufacturers, had just yeah, brought yeah, their course. Vietnam yeah, yeah. range out. Um, so the guy, they, they had massive number of sales because we were like right in front of them. So at the end of the day, the guy yeah. said, oh, well, um, we'll give you all these at a discount. Um, and it, I can't pound a pack or whatever it was. Uh, and I said, pound a pack. I'm not paying bloody 33p for a communist because we'd use plastic esh. We, we'd use plastic eshy figures uh, for the uh, the VC and the MVA on the day. Um, so that's right. where that comes from. So rightly, I wouldn't. How many how many communists do you get to well, a pound? Three apparently. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, Ken, I've learned many yep. things today, and that's certainly the most unusual exactly. of them. Exactly. <laughs> well, sometimes you say things that you don't, you're not quite thinking about, and then they stick with you for the rest of your life, and that's one of the things that stuck with me. Uh, so, it's yeah, scarred you, mate. It's scarred exactly. You. So, fifteen. Yeah. Um, do you like this is a good one for you do you like a good table and a set of rules a casualty table or an armor penetration table oh yeah of course um i'll tell you why because um i heard a few years ago people saying oh gosh that set of rules have got a lot of tables mm. in it as though it was mm. a negative thing and you think actually if you want a concise way to present information tables are a lot more accessible in the heat of a game than a huge page of text so yeah table tables are, are, are a necessary part of any war games rules that is attempting to present very important information in a concise and clear manner and that's why when i edit a set of rules or write a set of rules the stuff that is really really important during a game i tend to put in a table format because as you flip through you will look at just at the tables and the tables are the natural punctuation points in the flow of the game. So yeah, sure. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Uh, now I know you are a fan of the egg chasing rich, but um, this is a football question. Uh, and the, 
the oh, yeah, um, yeah. the question is Bradford City or Dirty yeah. Leeds United? Um, well, I have to say that one of the earliest memories of my life in terms of football is Norman Hunter breaking his arm at a FA Cup final and playing on. Uh, and uh, in in a in a world where I don't really like the game, and I see footballers diving around and and reaching for the for the for the hairspray, I would go back and say if any footballer should have been a rugby union player, it was Norman Hunter. So I'm going to go with Leeds, and I know that's the wrong answer, but I don't Dirty. care. Dirty. <laughs> um, question nineteen: um, Yorkshire or the other place over the hill? Neither of them are Cheshire, yeah, so I couldn't good, give a answer. Good answer. And uh, question 20. Uh, Games Workshop, are they the work of the devil? Yes or no? No, I think they're a, a very impressive company and, and I'm very impressed with the way they've turned themselves around in the last 10 years to become a huge player and bigger, on, bigger than Marks and Spencers. I mean, who the hell ever thought they could say that about a company mm. in wargaming? I, I, I had a copy of Battle magazine which had a, a piece in it about the opening of the very first Games Workshop shop somewhere in London. I don't know where it was. And uh, I chucked them all away in lockdown, actually, because I'm mm. taking up too much space, but I felt bad about it. But you think a company that's gone from one little shop selling funny little toys to being as big as that and influencing and changing the lives of so many people by introducing them to the idea of wargaming or games with a, with a, with a conflict co uh, con uh, content, and that then provides a bridge to what we do, I I love them to bits. I've never ever played any of their games, ever. Which I suppose for a game designer is something embarrassing. I shouldn't really say that. But I've never played any of their games. Um, I like going in their shops and buying paint. And the bloke behind the counter will say, "What are you painting?" And I'll say, "The hall." <laughs> and he doesn't know what to say. <laughs> But so it, it's it's a constant source of entertainment when I occasionally go in yeah. there. But no, I think I think well um, there is an immense sense of um, of as you say entertainment in going into a games workshop or games workshop store uh, and yeah. and answering with, yeah. oh, I'm currently doing some 1940s <laughs> Dutch East India figures. Oh, are they a new <laughs> are they a new faction for? Yeah. Oh, no, I was in a games workshop store once and the guy said to me, I know you, you're Nick from Two Fat Lardies, aren't you? What? So they're closer to us wow. than you might think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Closer to you, obviously. Obviously, yeah, I've got a yeah. fan base. Wow. <laughs> Did you get a free figure or anything? Did he? No, I know. I'm, I'm, he threw I made, his underpants. I made a. I, I, I bought what I went in there for, and I made a hasty exit. And I made sure I followed. I'm surprised you didn't. I'm surprised you didn't go. Here's my wife's underwear. Can you give them to Dave Brown? <laughs> <laughs> you oh, may say that. Dear me. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for that, Rich. You you scored sixty-seven and a half percent, which is seven and a half percent more Yorkshire gamer than Nick. Good. Well, I'm happy with that, to be honest with you. I'm happy with that because I'm. There's some. There are some glaring ones in there where I wasn't conforming, and I knew. I know what I should have said to get a higher score, but I couldn't give a monkey. That's fine. It's not. It's not about. It's not about I winning. It. It's, it's about fun. taking part. 
and at the end at the end of the day the winner is wargaming considering it was if no it no was, the winner was uh, me i won skinner lost that's the if, important thing. Yeah, yeah, but if it was, th- it depends how you look at it, really. But if it was 33 <laughs> episodes ago that I did my one, then inflation must have some part oh. to play in the <laughs> Well, you've certainly inflated. <laughs> oh, there's a bit of a fight going on. Uh, I'm step back. I'm step <laughs> back. I called it abuse, actually. Less of a fight. But there we go. There we go. Um, so we're going to finish off um, this section. Uh, with a little bit of a chat about the world cup of historical war games rules mm. and and the oh, absolute yeah. madness that it became um so how did you guys kind of become aware of what was going on i can't remember actually it it, it um i think i i think mean, i must have heard yeah. it on your podcast to be honest with you but i by the time by the time it kicked off because i think I was lagging a bit in terms of you you'd already you'd already made the selections and you'd already gone through into the right. into the first rounds. So I think I heard about yeah. it when it was in the first round and I just thought A this is <laughs> utterly bonkers but B this is hilariously funny. And and I thought I thought it was great. It was like what what's best a helicopter or a microwave you know, there was some real really interesting matchup so it wasn't like what do you prefer bolt action or chain of command which people would you know is kind of normal it's uh what what what's best a little old lady or a giant dragon you know it depends what you want done doesn't it really you know so i, I love i love the, the anarchy it's a bit like that thing when you're a kid isn't it and you right who'd win in a fight between a hippopotamus and a weasel yeah. <laughs> Uh, exactly. That's exactly it. That's why I loved it. It's great. I reckon the weasel. Does that mean that chain of command is more weasel-like, or is it more hippopotamus-like? <laughs> I don't know, really. So, Nick, when did you pick it up? I've no idea. The final, probably. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it kind of flitted across my screens a few yeah. times. Um, so it was curious to look at. I think Rich said a bit bemused, really, about it all. I didn't couldn't have an opinion on a lot of it because um, mm. you know play a lot of our own rules, but don't really play many others. So yeah. um, it's just interesting to watch. And when it got down to the final few, it, as I say, it was just kind of um, it was a win-win, really, wasn't it? It was mm. strike out the champagne and then uh, and, and enjoy it. Whatever happened, it was good fun to watch. Well, well done to you for running it, Ken. I think loads of people took part in it and enjoyed it, and it provoked lots of discussion. Mm. Um, so well done to you it for that. Did. There were some really challenging ones in there. I mean, I, I, as soon as I heard about it, I tried to vote, and I tried not to vote for our rules, although I, I there were some times when I had to do it, obviously, <laughs> like we were losing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and in which case, I created 72 different Facebook personas. <laughs> but uh, no, that's not true. But I, there were some, I mean, I voted against one of our rule sets, and I can't remember which one it was, and I voted for Charles Grant's. Yeah. Um, that's it. Just because I thought it was, I just don't feel that we can be compared with some rule sets, which are so important in terms of it, just important bits of wargaming history that I thought, no, I, I've got to vote for that. I've got to vote against me here. Um, but but secretly, I was glad we won it. <laughs> <laughs> but from, 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 from my own, could I look myself in the face having voted against charles grant i couldn't do that yeah that, so I, that, that, I have to say that was very honest of you and um when i put the the seeds together 
I was trying yeah. to put together not my eight favorite rule sets, but yeah. the eight rule sets that I thought had been most influential over my period of time in, in the hobby. So I um, I chose Grand Manor, WRG Ancients, Fire and Fury, Chain of Command, Quarry Napoleonics, Black Powder, Charles Grant's The War Game, and Rapid Fire as my eight seeds. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you would have kind of omitted from that or or preferred to have seen? Anything that was a a big influence on you? I thought I thought the ones that you chose were kind of well, apart from Chain of Command, let's let's leave anything we've produced out of it. But but things like Rapid Fire, I mean, that's a huge milestone on the wargaming mm. journey, you know. Yeah. That um, Charles Grant's rules he, again, a huge milestone as mm. you go through your wargaming life. These are all rule sets that you come that you come across. I mean, there were some on there that hadn't hadn't played a lot of them that I had played. But yeah, I mean, I th I thought you chose. I thought you chose the headline acts. They were, if you like, at, at the, the Queen's Birthday Festival. <laughs> they were the bands that you would expect to turn up. Yeah. You know, it's, it's uh, Diana Ross. They might not be contemporary hit artists, but they're the ones that, that represent the, the last 40 years of her reign. So you've got rules from every age of man, if you like, in there over the last... 40 years so i thought they were, i thought they were a good selection i was very flattered that chain of command was in there i was amazed actually that chain of command was in there but because um it's quite a newer set compared to some of those but, so yeah. king was sharp practice in that list no no no, no sharp no, sharp sharp nobody plays that crap. sharp sharp practice was the highest emerged yeah it was the from the public vote to get the 16 first round rules in sharp practice yeah. i think finished top or second or yeah, yeah, very yeah. high up okay very very yeah, high absolutely. Up. Yeah. well um yeah, yeah. so I'd, and when it came to the voting all but chain of command of the seeds got knocked out <laughs> oh really i hadn't realized that yeah, yeah. and knocked out early were they, they, they were well, all so it's interesting yeah, yeah. of, of yeah. that second round when the eight winners of the first round played the eight seeds only one seed went through and that was chain of command it's a bit like it's a bit like pop music isn't it if you'd done a survey 10 years ago what are the greatest pop bands of all time 10 years ago you know you'd have had the beatles in there you'd have had the rolling stones in there you'd have had here there and a bit but you'd also have had the spice girls in there yeah, 10 yeah. years ago now if you ask the same question you'd have the beatles in there you'd have the rolling stones in there and i doubt very much if the spice girls would get a mention <laughs> at all although i particularly like the spice girls but that's another that's another issue. another one another one to talk about what, uh, what's the um uh so um so um is there any silverware given out for this is there is there you know is there any kind of hefty items of 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 high mineral content material knocking about that we can melt down as a consequence of this or do we get nothing what's the prize uh, for winning, uh, i'm looking into getting a trophy we're here. We're here. Just spending time with Ken yeah. is the biggest. Oh, is that it? That's, the, that's, that's the trophy. Avocado. It's got to be an avocado-shaped trophy. <laughs> I, I am. I am looking at. I'm looking at sourcing a trophy um, that will obviously. I don't want, don't want one. one. <laughs> it, 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 no, I think it would trivialise it, it. Ken. <laughs> yeah. No, what a huge, what a huge gold trophy. Of course, stupid yeah. fool. Yeah. 
that's it. That's the difference. That's the difference, isn't it, mate, between you and me? Yeah. The superficial, the trivial, the blingy, <laughs> all that yeah. glitters it's is you. I'm, 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 I suppose I was, I was born within 25 miles of Essex. It must be the, the period <laughs> of bring the shine, that shine in the evening yeah. sky isn't, isn't the setting sun. It's Essex. Well, the plan is, the plan Even is to do it, do it again in a couple of years' East. time. Um, I'm going to do a... Brilliant. Well, we'll, we'll be like the Spice Girls. We won't be in it then, probably. <laughs> no, no. Well, hopefully that's true. Well, yeah. the, the, oh, we've lost, we've lost, we've, oh he's, he's back. We lost Rich for a second there. Richard pressed the wrong button and disappeared oh. into space. Oh, he's back. It's, uh, he's back. Invoking the power of Spice. Stop pressing buttons, Richard. <laughs> Um, well, the, the eight quarter finalists will be the eight seeds next time round. So um, right. looking at this, you've, you've, you've got quite a few in, um, including uh, Dave Browns. You've got O Group, General Dame, Chain of Command, Sharp Practice, uh, all straight through to round two. Um, and what would the other ones be? Uh, the other ones are Forking and Parliament. Yeah, good one. Excellent. Terms. Lion Rampant. Which yeah, which which yeah, I should have banned popular. because it beat Quarry Napoleonics. I was I was devastated by <laughs> that. Uh, two the strongest um, and battle yeah. group. They were the okay. They, they, good, good. they were the eight yeah. seeds. Yeah. Well, it's a strong show. Yeah, um, and uh, I kind of I kind of got caught out by it. I was expected it to be, you know, a little bit of a side thing, uh, and it ended up the administration of it was taking up virtually all my time because uh, it was 14,111 votes cast. Right, that's well, mate. And do you know what, mate? All those 14,000 people were, were, were voting for a set of rules, but they were also voting for you, Ken. <laughs> some of them deft. Each one. From the comments, some, some of them definitely weren't. <laughs> This is stupid. How can you? How can you have two of the strongest against Quarry Napoleonics? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but nor does a hippopotamus against a weasel. But that doesn't make exactly. it crazy, wacko but, fun. But, but the the conversations that it got going were just i really enjoyed i really really enjoyed yeah it. it was good it was really good and i'll tell you what i was pleased about in the end the final was pretty close running wasn't it i mean it was only only in the final furlong that chain of command really streaked away so there were some really really close votes but what that tells me mate is well that tells me is we are in a hobby with some fantastic rule sets out there that people really love we're in an age of great choice and that's that's the positive thing for for the hobby. Much more important than a shitty trophy that some people want. What can I say? You can, yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've, I'm only in it for the silverware, mate. You know that. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, if I can source, if I can source one. <laughs> that, that, there's a, I've got a bookshelf behind me. It's got the space there. I know. Oh, no, it's can. bigger than that. The one. I've, the one. If, if I, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. <laughs> Is it Dusty yeah, Bean? Oh, the Dusty golden Dusty Bean. Lard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dusty Bean would be a great addition to Nick's shelves. Oh, it he would. Keep his oh, no, 3-2-1. Was 3-2-1 Dusty Bean? Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember all, always, always trying to do that at school and then getting it completely wrong yeah, yeah. and doing that to the games master. 
again. Chain you know what? We still we still call it the full Ted. If anybody's playing chain of command with oh, us yeah. and they roll a five, a four, four a three, three, a two, two and a one. one. That's a full Ted. Full Ted. Yeah, because it's not just the Ted. Three. If you roll three, two, one, you've got the Ted. You can have the extended Ted, the full Ted. We've got all the Ted variations based on Ted Rogers. Three, two, one. I'm going to. I'm going to add that to the Yorkshire Gamer uh, vocabulary. Um, Do you have a special name for a double two? (laughs) No, mate. That would be stupid. We we call it a Desmond. A Desmond. Oh, two, two. Yeah, very. Desmond, two, two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Traded you, traded you fair trade. That was fair trade, mate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, during the course of the thing, did you did you ever look at some of the comments because it was uh, it was getting extremely funny, uh, and it was kind of why isn't this in? Oh, that, they were great. That it's already been in. I love the comments on an American website that will not be named because it's full of crazy people with guns. And they might shoot me when I go to Historicon next year. Um, but oh, God, yeah. there was some great. That's ridiculous <laughs> that this set of rules isn't on there. It's already been knocked out, mate. And and yeah, only <laughs> two people voted for it. And it was. Like, I just love. I just love the way that the hobby is so fractured that that some people playing in a, a club up in the Appalachian Mountains, wherever that is, mm. believe that the most popular rule set in the world is one written by a bloke called Bert, who used to game there 30 years ago and died and left the rules to the mm. club. But they, because they never make contact with any other club, they believe that that is the, the most popular set of rules in the world. And that clubhouse is replicated across the globe. People in the Cotswolds who've got six fingers and things like that and never game with any other club believe that another set of rules is really popular. And it's... it. But that's quite a, a nice thing about the hobby is we can all enjoy our own, the rules that we enjoy. Yeah. That's really positive. Unlike tennis. If I went to have a game of tennis yeah. at a local tennis club and say, I really don't like the way these rules work. Let's ignore these lines <laughs> here and play it our own way. They can go, get out. You're a bloody lunatic. In wargaming, that's yeah. encouraged. That's so healthy. It's like anarchy. But, they, but we have no, you know, they have the Lawn Tennis Association, mate, that sets the rules. Yeah, Luckily, yeah, we yeah. don't have any of that old rubbish. No. You could be the heavy roller. I could be. <laughs> so, uh, once again, I'll apologise to uh, the person from Alabama who wanted to put their own homebrew rules in that nobody else had seen. Um, I just wanted to save you the embarrassment of not getting any votes. I'll put him in next time. I'll give him a vote. That's lovely, isn't it? Isn't that symbolic of how fabulously diverse the hobby is in terms of bonkers rule sets? I love it. I love the fact we we all do what we want. It's fabulous. And they might be the best set of rules. We just don't know it yet. We never played them. Exactly. No, exactly. I think there was 108 sets of rules nominated overall, including the eight seeds. And there's a few that I had to look up. Never, never, ever heard of it. Never, ever heard of it. So um, the quarterfinals came through to the semifinals and it was O Group versus Chain of Command. Oh, oh, what what a fight that was. What a fight that was. What? The knickers stopped coming then, mate, I can tell you. Um, Oh. uh, Oh. That one was really close, actually. Loads. And I think I spoke with um, Dave about um, and kind of you would have a kind of slightly 
less biased opinion. Um, but our group has become extremely popular in terms of World War Two rules yeah. very quickly. Yeah. Um, and I think that's uh, obviously that's praise for the, for the, the rules themselves. Yeah, totally. Um, They're a really good set of rules, though, and they scale up fabulously. You know, you can you can do much bigger actions you can do brigade level actions on big tables so they're, they're a great set of rules and i'm proud to, to publish them um and then the other side semi-final was to the strongest and sharp practice yeah. which is another fairly close battle yeah, yeah. um and i think what i enjoyed about the semi-finals was the fact that um there was different um historical periods in there and not just all world war ii or not just yeah. um yeah. napoleonics and it was good that there was an ancient set in there as well. I totally agree. I, th I thought uh, as we came to the final, um, it was good to see a real, real spread, real spread. And and really, again, no, there was nobody running away with it. These these were these were closely fought battles. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And then finally, chain of command versus sharp practice in the in the final. Did you kind of back off and relax at that point? No, it's a grudge match, mate. It's a grudge match, and <laughs> and, uh, and, and uh, you know, Ken, I've got two daughters, and I love them both to bits. They've, they've uh, and the dog. Fred's a bit upset. He's just turned up. So yeah. what about me? Well, I've got two daughters. Which one do you vote for? Which one of your kids do you vote for? Um, you can't do it. So it 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 was nice to know they were there, but I, my. I was split, mate. I was split. I didn't know mm. which way to turn. In the end, I didn't vote. I didn't vote for either. Did you have a vote, Nick? No, I didn't vote. No, I didn't think I voted in, in, in any of them, Ken. So it mainly on Facebook, wasn't it, the voting? It was, yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah I'm, I'm going to try that next I'm going to try something different next year because I know some people aren't use Facebook a, a lot. But I chose it because it was the highest number of people that yeah, followed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah, perfectly yeah. reasonable platform to use. But I, I, don't, I don't think I did vote um actually um and if it come to the final i don't know which one i voted for either actually no um, i play more chain of command but i love sharp practice i love the narrative uh, there we go there's the there's the bingo the word chats yeah. um i love the narrative the storyline it, it it presents i noticed actually that um overnight that jay arnold rich the uh the veteran right. war gamer um yeah he's he's got hold of a copy of sharp practice and he's starting to play it and people are saying to him, you know, you'll love the narrative content of it. So I really enjoy We've had some really, really fun games of sharp practice. And I always think of sharp practice as a bit more fun. Whereas I think of chain of command as a bit more, um, I try to use it a bit more to understand stuff. So, yeah, yeah, you know, I agree. Yeah. Um, but you can, you know, obviously you can have fun as well. But sharp practice, some of the games we've had with various, uh, various characters from all over the world of horse and musket period has been good fun. I've got to feed the dog because he's crying. <laughs> he's been crying in the rest of the bloody podcast. Hold on. <laughs> breakfast, breakfast time. Oh, it's the first time I've ever had a dog feed fed um, halfway through a podcast. I have to say. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, what happens? The way that the dog feeds, of course, is Richard has to go and regurgitate his own breakfast. Yes. And the dog then eats that. It's it's. The, well, I hope it doesn't happen for a third time. <laughs> Sorry about well, that. That was a quick feeding. Yeah, well, wife had it out. I just had to put it down for it. Oh. I was saying, Rich, that the, what you have to do is you have to regurgitate your own breakfast, and then Freddie eats that. Isn't okay. that the way? 
like feeding birds. <laughs> I, I go out in the garden, eat eat worms, and then when he wants feeding, I vomit out. Mm. Uh, I've I've had a bit of a result. My daughter now works in a custard factory. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. I have arrived. So you, and that trophy can make sure you can put custard in it. <laughs> you ever have too much custard? No, I, never, I never. You can never have too much custard, but not on avocado. Don't put your custard on avocado. That would no. be too much for most people. Oh, I might try it on mushy peas. See how it goes. <laughs> a, little, a little half spoon of sugar and a tiny bit of mint sauce in mushy peas. Oh. Oh, right. I thought you were saying custard. There is a culinary podcast in the making. There really is. There certainly there? is. There certainly is. <laughs> pea, pea, avocado and peas. Yeah. Oh, dear mm -hmm. me. What can I say? Uh, so it just leaves me to... Gastroenteritis <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm just I'm just going to to trap two. I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Who's in trap number six? <laughs> oh dear. So I just leaves me to congratulate you, gentlemen, on um getting two sets of rules through to the final. I think it's yeah. with the level of votes, I think that, that is a is a remarkable achievement. So congratulations to you both. Um and um I just want to say thanks for hijacking my big game will pop um and putting your sneaky skirmish rules in the final what can i say <laughs> well ken it's a funny old game mate <laughs> i mean we were we were taking it one game at a time yep there are no easy games at this level but we came with a game plan and we were sticking to it mate i think that was it you did a brilliant did job it? you did a well, brilliant game two arms in the end ken yeah. two arms one of them sharp practice the other chain of command at one point I was worried we'd lost the dressing room. Maybe we scored too early. But it was all to play for. And we gave 110%, Ken. I yeah. think that's it. We gave 110%. Yeah. And ultimately, we got the ball in the back of the net. And as for chain of command, well, goals win games and the boy done good. Yeah. And Sydney got his hairdryer out at half time. Yeah, that's oh, so right. That was all fun. And, and yeah. I don't believe what they said about the referee was true. No. 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 I had my sponge ready and me up my bucket of icy water. And that kept the boys going through to the end. But in the end, it was chain of command what what come up with the goods. It did the bit, and I have to say that um, to prove how unbiased I was, the three um, sets of rules that I voted for in the preliminary round all got knocked out uh, and didn't make the first round. And then my one banker from the uh, seeds of, of Quarry Napoleonics got knocked out straight away by Lion Rampant of all things. Well, can I suggest maybe you buy a copy of Sharp Practice and Chain of Command, set a light to them and dance naked round them? Yes. <laughs> but I'll buy a dozen copies to make them. Yeah. Yeah. The bigger, bigger fire, bigger the dance. Unfortunately, um, I've got a PDF copy of Chain of Command, so... Um... You can't set a light to that, <laughs> mate. That's going to be expensive, deal. that is. <laughs> my, wife's, my wife's work um, iPad going up in flames. And, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> I'm just dancing around, but no, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Uh, well, thank uh, you. Thank you very much for that, chaps. Uh, it was lovely to speak with both the uh, winning and losing managers. Um, and uh, we'll take a quick break for the audience. We'll be back very shortly with War Games Room 101.
Oh, <laughs> well, you, you um, make the door wider. Yeah, whether whether or not that 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 comment from Rich uh, recorded could be the end of the two fat <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I hope for them it didn't, but, uh, but there we go. Um, so. Um, the, the the start of the final section um we're going to mm. talk war games room 101 and um uh, this is a feature i thought would run out of steam very quickly but unfortunately um so many people have got so many things that are their pet hates within war gaming that we've managed to get a different one every time for quite some time and um and nick uh, put one in the war games room 101 when he came on uh, as a guest on one of the catch-up episodes um so rich um is there anything um that you particularly would like to banish into war games room 101 what's your pet hate from war gaming well, do you know what, Ken? I, I gave a lot of thought to this matter, mate, and uh, I thought at this at this very moment in time, with three books approaching being finalised, I thought the thing I'd really like to put into Room One Hundred and One are people who say to me, "When's it ready? When's it going to be published?" Because because uh, I don't bloody know. But, but I'm not going to say that. You're not going to say that. Oh. I love those people to bits, and uh, and it's lovely to get that degree of interest. It's just if if when it's ready, I'll let you know. But the thing I really, really would like to put, really, really want what I really, really want to put into room 101 of wargaming is freeloading parasites. Um, and by that, <laughs> I mean. Uh uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Rich, that just broke up then. Could you just do that again? I'll do a pause. <laughs> it must have been the venom. Yes. Freeloading parasites, Ken. Freeloading Free parasites. parasites. <laughs> right? Okay. Now, <laughs> I feel very, very strongly that if you're going to go along to a war game show and put on a war game, or if you're going to go to an event to present a war game, you need to be going there because you want to show your game to the general public. If you get an invite to salute to put on a game, if you get an invite to partisan to put on a game, if you get an invite to the local scout hut to put on a game, you are in the shop window of wargaming. You should be doing everything you can to make sure that the people enjoying that game or the people attending that event, you should, to use a modern trendy term, be outward facing. What you should not be doing is saying to your mates, if we put on a game at that show, 11 of us can get in for free and then they will sit there all day doing nothing to interface with the people who are attending the event. If they ask us any questions, we'll tell them that we're busy and playing a game and please bugger off. And then we'll be able to get all our shopping and we'll all save 10 quid on the entrance fee. And I hate to say it, but there are people out there who sometimes you go to a war games event and all they've done is use the, the, the game that they're running as an opportunity to, to get in for free. And what they're not doing is showing off the hobby in the best possible light um there's a lot of talk about the graying and the hobby if we want to get people interested if we want to get people hooked it's about providing that hook yeah you've got to have a good looking table but you've also got to be ready to talk to them and have that conversation and freeloading parasites 
who, <laughs> who uh, and I'm being intentionally provocative here, obviously. But really, um, if you're going to go to a war game show, you've got to be you've got to be thinking. I'm on stage. I'm there. I've got to put on the best show that I possibly can. You've got to have people who are who are tasked with talking to the audience as well as just running the game. And I would say, I don't, I'm not going to burn you at the stake if you're not doing that, but I would seriously say, think about it. If you are putting on a game, you've got a great opportunity to show people who are turning up for the first time, youngsters who've never been to an event before, old people who've never been to an event before, who could look at your game and go, that really, really ticks all the boxes for me. But you're the one who's got to tick those boxes by by in by having that interface with them, by having that that social intercourse with them, by having that conversation, so that that's what I just really want. I really want to see the quality of what we're doing when we're in the shop window of war game gaming being as good as it gets. So um, yeah, I can, well I can't argue with that. I think freeloading parasites might have tipped. <laughs> It over the edge of where I would have gone with the discussion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought we were in Yorkshire, Ken. I thought you had to be plain speaking. <laughs> it's negative, though, isn't it, for the hobby? I mean, it's it a is. negative thing if you do that because you're taking, if there's if there's 11 of you paying £10 and you're taking £110 out of the possible gate money of that event, uh, and and you know you're doing nothing with it. In fact, you're putting a negative, um, you're having a negative impact on what people see when they come in the door. So you're taking from the hobby rather than putting into the hobby. Yeah. And you know I don't see you don't you don't see it a lot. And I actually think, Rich, we see it less than we used to. I think actually is the situation changed a lot in recent years. But you know there it does. I think it does still happen. Um, we went to a show not that long ago, Nick, where we saw people on the table near us just turn up. And get absolutely slaughtered. Yes, and fall asleep. And fall asleep, passing yeah. out through yeah. booze. Yeah. Now nobody likes to drink more than me. I mean, literally, nobody likes to drink more than me. <laughs> but but I don't do it when I'm at a war game show. Yeah, absolutely. I do it after the war game show and pass out and get abusive. But I don't do it at the show. <laughs> Yeah, there the used to be some guys who, who would always put on a show at Triples, um, which was like a, obviously a two-day event, um, and they would tend to get slaughtered by sort of two o'clock on the Saturday afternoon. Uh, <laughs> Should be called Triples. Yeah, and then, but instead of falling asleep, they would they would vociferously argue about the rules to the point where it nearly came to, to blows, and then you would go back because we would always go back for the second day. Um, and they would just be sat there. Clearly, they're, they're drunk. It's like the after effects of the drink, and they've fallen out because of yesterday's argument. And they wouldn't talk to each other. And I, it was, it was one of the That's best bonkers. parts of the show. It was just brilliant. We all could see if they're arguing. <laughs> that is bonkers. But what's the impact of that for people who go to that show on a Sunday? You know, it's a wholly negative experience. Uh, they just wander around, see a table that's completely disinterested, uh, disinteresting, and disinterested. Doesn't add to the hobby, does it? Really? I think we, I think we demand higher standards now. Uh, as as a society, as a community of gamers, uh, we demand higher standards from games at shows. Um, and I think that's probably the space people should try to put themselves in. Yeah, I, I, I think that 
certainly the larger shows um, are able to pick and choose games, um, especially yeah. partisan. Um, and if you can, if you go there and you put on a good display game, you interact with the public, and people are talking about your game, then partisan are going to ask you back next year. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There, there's very few groups who are just turning up to game themselves there and I, I would suggest that they probably wouldn't come back the following year if they did mm, but they, yeah. there's an advantage there for them that they have people wanting to come to their show to put a game on whereas a more regional show up north uh you might not have the the choice of games to put on but yes, I, 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 the vault is closing behind me. Um, Freeloading parasites has entered. <laughs> oh, has entered War Games Room One Hundred and One with unpainted flag edges and competition games and barking dogs. It, they're all in there. <laughs> it's a security alert. It is the freeloading parasites are attacking the compound. They're in. They're in. Is it, is it, are they zombie freeloading parasites? Oh, I better go and let him out. He loves freeloading parasites for lunch. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, bless him. Well, there you are. That's the, that's the that's the, that's the truth of it, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There is an element of truth to that. It's an extreme view, but it's we've all seen it. Yeah, and I think we don't want to see it anymore. No, I, I, I think it is on the. I think it is on the way out. Um, I think more people. Through things like the podcasts and stuff like that, I'm more aware of people's views on it. Um, you know, before this sort of thing, I don't ever remember. I mean, there might well have been a, an article in one of the magazines saying, "Stop being a twat and speak to people at game at shows when you're putting a game on." Yeah. Um, and I think the podcast and and the YouTube channels have kind of brought it more out as an issue that people are now aware of. Um, yes. Yeah, and I think if you want to if you want to go to a show, pay the door money and go to a show. Yeah. You know, if 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 you know, I, I, I'm 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 blurbing and blubbing because because uh, I half agree what I'm going to say, but half <laughs> half trying to find the right way to say it. But when but I know that when we go to shows, um, you know, sometimes you just you just, you don't get to go around the show because you are yes. glued to the yeah. table. I've had that. You know, very often I go to Partisan or Salute and people say, what did you buy? I say, well, nothing. Nothing. That's because it. It, nothing. You know, I might have had a walk around for 10 minutes to get a break from the table, but, you know, I'm not there as a punter. Yeah. We're there to do other stuff. Um, and, no, I, I totally yeah. agree. My, my, my purchasing list from Wargame shows in the last 10 years will not have come to £100 mm. for the whole lot, Yeah, all of them, because I just literally never get a chance. Uh, is that because people give you loads of free stuff? No, fuck. <laughs> I normally say no to free stuff because yeah, I don't want no, it, and yeah. I don't want—I don't want to be in a position. No, very true. And then I say, uh, no, definitely not. Like, I see me round the back. I'll have as much as you got. <laughs> Putting a skip round the back. I'll, I'll pick it up later on. Yeah. Load the motor up. <laughs> Uh, no no well uh, what i what i've done now this here's my top tip is i've started uh, a fiasco which was a couple of three weeks ago um i did my shopping at nine o'clock before the doors yeah. opened and the um the you know most of the trade had sat had set up um yeah. and i kind of bullied them into switching the the cash tappy thing on 
<laughs> getting some things that way. So I'd I'd done all my shopping before the uh, the punters came in. So which was... it's the only way to do it if you're doing it because then you you can focus on on what is really your job for the day. Mm. Your job for the day is to is to fly the flag for wargaming. It's really important. We've got a fucking excuse me, brilliant hobby. Yeah. We've got an absolutely gobsmackingly great hobby. We just need to make sure that when people have their first interface with it, they go, wow, that is brilliant. I want part of that. We've only got one chance because they won't come back again. No, it's uh, it's something that I try and do on every game that I run. Um, and the, we, it, we never, ever get to a conclusion in a game at a show. And we never we never intend no, no. to to be fair well that's brilliant that um so thank you very much for that and we've just got the final section of the features um section to go through uh before we have a little bit of a large chat uh, and that's the desert island war game and nick you you didn't do this uh when you were on the show um wow. so i'm gonna give you an opportunity once again to to join in um so just like desert island discs you are allowed to take one war game of any size or type on your desert island so nick what would you like to take with you i've no idea um <laughs> what would i take with me mm, uh, uh any war game of any type or any yep, kind right? yeah, what about the people to play it with do they come to or do i have to play it? is it a solo game what's the rules around it's this? whatever you want any size any um the people would appear to play the game with you any it could be anything you want it could be right. a board game figure game right. you name it well this would change with every day of the week and every hour of the day quite possibly um so uh at the moment do you know what it's a game that i haven't played yet Ooh. um but it is a chain of, it is a chain of command game but i want to do chain of command and i want to go into germany in northwest germany and do some of those actions some of those horrible grinding actions around gielenkirchen and places like that and I take that with me at the moment if I'll shipwreck right this minute, because if if I wasn't doing this right now and you said to me, what else could you do? I'd, what I'd love to do is say, get that table set up and start playing some of those Northwest German games, 1945. Um, does that, is yeah, that okay? Yeah, absolutely answer? fine. If that's the game you want to take. Uh, Rich, what would you be, right yeah, now, Rich, what would you be taking onto your desert island? It's a difficult one, isn't it? I feel that having, with Nick having said chain of command, I ought to say sharp practice. Um, <laughs> Two World um, Cup winners on one uh, island. Absolutely yeah. right. Um, I would take chain of command with me if I could only ever play one war game again because uh, whilst I really enjoy um, <clears throat> sharp practice, sharp practice is a huge, delicious trifle covered in strawberries and cream and all the things that you like to have for fun whereas chain of command is is a roast beef dinner and it's solid and you have to think about it a bit more i think as an intellectual challenge i would as a game i would enjoy it probably a little bit more than you can you can have you can never have too much roast beef you can have too much trifle so um uh, it would be chain of command chain yeah. of command mm. is the mushy peas of wargaming I don't like mushy peas. <laughs> 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 well, what could be better than taking a World Cup winning set of rules onto a desert island? Exactly. True, true. Exactly. I hope I hope the, the next version is going to come out with World Cup winning in the corner, like on the front. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be trouble if yeah. it isn't. Trouble, I tell you. Um, trouble, yeah. <laughs> so, um, second thing you could take onto the desert island is, is a book. 
Um, we've already got, as you as you're aware from the Radio Two show, the mm. the, the religious book and your choice, the full work of Shakespeare. So let's go with Nick again. What's your first book? Oh. Uh, I'm going to go and get it. So put a sound of footsteps in whilst I go and get it. Would you, why don't you do the footsteps by using your feet, or do you roll across the he'll, room? You'll have one of them um, noise dampening carpets of it. Where's he gone? Probably, probably. It's all deep pile. It's all deep pile. Is, is he? Well, while, while he's doing, Rich. Oh, he's back. He's back. Right here we go. He's back. He's back. Noddy's. <laughs> Noddy, the Noddy the Annual, 1977. <laughs> <laughs> right, I've spoken about this yeah. book before. It remains the book that motivated me. And, and in fact, you know, it's from my school library. It's oh, a book, it's oh, called oh, The War Game. Game. And it was edited by, I can't remember who it was edited by now. Uh, who's it edited by? It's a kind of A4 size book. Edit, general editor, Peter Young. Brigadier. DSO, MC, MA, FSA, FR, HIST, S, FRGS, no less. And it's basically 10 actions from history and wargaming them Thermopylae, Agincourt, Edge Hill, Blenheim, Lobositz, Saratoga, Austerlitz, Waterloo, Gettysburg, Al Alamein. And I still have a dream. I have a dream, have a dream to uh, bring that book as kind of another version of that book um, through to print at some point because it motivated me massively when I was a kid. Great pictures, great articles, uh, and it's my absolutely die in a ditch book that I would take with me. It's the one book that I come and salvage actually isn't because actually I have other books that are much more valuable that I might try and salvage first, but I would definitely want to make sure that was in there too. Awesome choice. Awesome choice. Rich? But if I'm on a desert island on my own and it could be a long stay, I'd probably take the best of Razzle. But um, <laughs> aside from that, I, I think maybe um, a, a more dishonest answer would be a Clausewitz on war, because I think there's so much to think about in Clausewitz, because in a way his writing is potentially slightly enigmatic, mm. because I think being a smart ass, he knows that if he <laughs> nails his colours completely to the mast, somebody will prove him wrong so so every every and the way the way some colleague is written it's almost you it's almost like a daily book that you could mm. read a paragraph and then contemplate that paragraph all day do i agree how do i feel about that it's very bite-sized mm. it's it's a brilliant lavatorial read because it's uh, presented <laughs> in quite, quite pithy short sections but if i'm honest it would probably be the best of razzle Excellent choice. Not readers' wives. No, no, I don't know. No, because that's uh, they're all they're all uh, queuing up for Dave, aren't they? They are, mate. They, they are. are. And 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 the memory of that 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 housewife superstar being free and at liberty while I was trapped on Devil's Island would be too much to bear. <laughs> yes, let's draw a very thick veil over that conversation. Uh, <laughs> um, so finally, um, it's a war games unit, so it can be something from the past, something you covet that belongs to a friend or something that has a special meaning to you that's yours. Uh, so have you got one, Nick, that you would like to? What would your one war game unit be? Um, I'm gonna, well, I'm going to have uh, I Love My Recce. I love my aunt, my my recce uh, dames and dingoes World War Two, but I also love the the airborne recce, um, and I love my glider pilots as well. 
So that would be those would be mine, okay. all three of them, because they only take up a little bit of room. Yeah, yeah. There's something there's something dashing about a wrecker unit, isn't there? I don't particularly. Yeah, I don't absolutely. particularly want to have volunteered for one because the go down that road and get the shit shot out of you is is not my idea of a a fun and the life expectancy would be kind of down the lower end there's more to it obviously more to it than just getting shot mate sometimes you can shoot back but also um it's the, it's the, it's the range of games they could potentially give you as well yeah. recce forces are really interesting in the way they're composed uh the armaments they have the weapons they use uh and and you know you can have some quite intricate games around recce with some fairly subtle objectives yeah. um that's more than just the the classic infantry armor slog or whatever so i like recce games i like i like yeah those little do you know what recce of all periods actually even if it's just kind of a napoleonic like cavalry screen or something there's quite something quite interesting about that too yeah you, you kind of haven't you use your mind and you because you're not usually not heavily armored in, in a recce unit you're kind of using your no. mind yeah. uh, and brain and tactics to get yourself out of the shit uh to go back and tell the guys with the big guns that's where they are yeah and there's always an element of maneuver mm. with recce yeah by definition yeah you don't want to you, you don't want to dig in when um the thing that you're in does 50 miles an hour no stand still <laughs> and die you've got to keep moving yeah uh lovely choice nick uh, and rich finally your war games unit that you'd like to say well the war games unit i'd really like to take i've got and i've painted and i've never used it <clears throat> and that is a volksgrenadier unit from the winter of 1944 it's a platoon of volksgrenadier and i like it because i assembled it from all different makes of figures and manufacturers and i did quite a bit of converting putting hoods on and things like that and i've never got to use it and i don't know why not um but it's, it's one of the prettiest units I've ever done. And I based it for winter, but not with snow, with lots of sort of frosty tufts. And I put a lot of work into it. And I think the fact that that I would have that and think I really must play with this one day would allow me to think soon a big boat will come <laughs> and I'll be rescued. Hopefully, Melinda Messenger will be driving the boat, but that's another issue. Yeah, exactly. exactly. She, she's been name-dropped a couple of times, and the younger viewers, um, <laughs> if you're going to Google it at home, maybe do it away from your partner. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> just, to, uh, just to make sure you don't get in trouble. Uh, brilliant. Thank you very much for that. Um, so um, I just want to, if we can, just finish off with some general lard updates news etc and i promise not to i kind of prom I promise not to go down the when's this rule set coming out I, um but I'd, I'd just like to go back to but to the, my introduction um and the the cult of lard um ah, <laughs> so, so um for those who don't know rich where did where did this come from i think you found it on a website somewhere didn't you i don't know that oh, lard, yeah. lard is being was... a, a cult and they were answering yeah. stuff back we get a twitter comment uh, or something probably uh, sounds like the sort of thing on twitter you might come yeah, across. it was it was somewhere it suggested there was a sort of cult of it and it, it made me laugh i just thought <laughs> oh really um but 
I can't honestly can't remember where it came from, but lots of people picked up on it and were having a laugh and joke about it and all that. <laughs> so it's it just strikes me as weird. I think what tends to happen in the hobby is you get more counter cults. So the cult is against yeah. something rather than for it. You will get a lot of people who say, I really like Chain Command. But you also get a lot of people who say, I really like Bolt Action or I really like Hail mm. Caesar. But the people who are the real cults are the ones who hate that rule set. I don't hate any rule sets. I like the game sets I game. But if you want to game a set of rules by Bert Scroggins that specialises in whatever, that's great if that's what you're enjoying. But some people really don't like it that other people like a game they don't like. And they're the people who are the sort of bit, strike me as the bit of the weird cultist because... They'll do anything they can to make a negative comment about the, the set yeah. of rules that they don't yeah. like. And you think, I don't know what you're attempting to do here. I understand that you don't like a set of rules. But my mum once said to me, before we buried her, um, if you can't find anything nice to say about something, say now. Yeah. Say yeah. nothing at all. And it, that's, it's, a fair, it's a fairly simple piece of advice from a fairly simple woman. But it, it's not bad advice. If you don't like something, just if your wife comes in and goes, look at my lovely new shoes, you don't go, Jesus Christ, where do you get them? They're awful. You go, they're nice. And that's all you have to say. Just if you don't like summer, zip up and go and play something else. So the, 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 I've never found a cult of lard at all. I've found a lot of people having fun and enjoying lard, and I have found a, a sad small number of people who hate the fact that other people are enjoying something they don't like. But that's a kind of counter cult, isn't it? Well, I, I just love the fact that lard, you know, what is it? People say, oh, lard. I don't know what lard really means, really. I don't, I don't, know, what, I don't know what it's like. I'm, I'm a lardy. What does that even mean? I lard, know, mate, it's a four-letter word. I know, mm. I know. But, you know, we're kind of, I guess we're at the centre of it, but even we would struggle to put a definition on it. And I think that's kind of, that's all right. It's okay with that, isn't it? It's what it mm. is. It's what people want it to be. It's um, it's uh, something to enjoy. Um, I think that, that terminology sometimes make, make it sound like, a, make it sound like it's got that kind of cultishness about it. But, um, yeah, it's just, just plain toy soldiers really isn't it is that right that's, is that what it is? that's exactly what it is and it's that trivial it's not important don't get upset about it it's just people having some a laugh. some people are extremely tribal in their wargaming beliefs and i think it's true in any any walk of life um and well, look, at, look at football how many anybody but united do you remember a few years ago when when manchester united were winning a lot of things a lot of people anybody but united they just they were against something they didn't like more than what they that what mm. they did like. It's just nature, human yeah, beings. A bit like Huddersfield Town. <laughs> I don't even, you know, I don't even know a Huddersfield. <laughs> uh, I won't tell. I won't say the nickname on air that Bradford fans given, but it's not. It's not <laughs> nice. It's not. It's not nice. <laughs> um, but what I what what I found um, is. Rather than a cult, there's there's more of a community around lard, and there is a um, and this is this is speaking, you know, as, as an outsider really, um, because you know a lot of stuff that I do, um, although I, I very much enjoy the sets of rules that you produce, they're below the scale of game that I normally play. But I found when I've brought stuff to lard days, 
that everyone has been extremely welcoming and everyone is there to have a good time rather than um, repeatedly roll double sixes and, and, and table, table their opponents. Um, mm. I, have, you, have you worked hard at that community or have you just got lucky? Oh, I think we, I think, I think we just yeah. got lucky in a way. I mean, uh, we've, we've, we've always felt that it's, we've always tried to do the decent thing in terms of representing the hobby and tried to be as welcoming as possible mm. to people who, people who've uh, wanted to do what we're doing. And I think there's a kind of mindset that when Two Fat Lardies started, it was very much at the age of, yahoo groups when yahoo groups were just really yeah, starting up yeah. and what that created was one great big community yeah. everybody who was interested would join the yahoo group it was really easy for us we'd go to the yahoo group every morning people have asked questions we'd answer them there was no twitter there was no facebook there was no yeah. all these other social media areas because the hobby is now fragmented to to mm. a much greater degree it's impossible for me to go to all the different forums and all the different places and keep in contact. But what happened, we were very lucky that for the first 10 years of Two Fat Lardies, we had one place where everybody everybody camped out. And it was a bit like a big war game in Glastonbury, if you like. <laughs> everybody knew everybody yeah, well, knew where to go. Now, one minute you might be talking about a game you played, but the next minute you might be talking about what you were cooking for, for lunch. Or the next minute you might be talking about the best place to buy paints or or where do you get your socks darned if you've got a hole in them it was it was just it evolved as a community and because that community was in one place it became one sort of entity but that was just yeah. by completely by accident it happened to be there once yahoo groups sort of disappeared and it became io and more in, before that once all the other social media came along it became a lot harder to maintain that. But by that point, we'd got things like the Lardy Games Days up and running. Now, they're not things that we run. What happened to us, the first Lardy Games Day, which is about 10 years ago now, a deacon in Evesham emailed me and he said, I'm thinking about running a day of Lardy Games. Would you come along? I said, if there's beer and curry, I'll be there. So uh, that was a throwaway yeah. comment, but he organised it with a day of gaming followed by beer and curry in the evening where we all sat down and we all gathered around the table and we all had a meal together and we all ate. And I think when you break bread with people, when you get into that, that situation, not when you, not when you go to a canteen and you go and sit with your mates on that table over there and I go and sit with the mates on that table over there, but we're all around this big table and it, and it, it again, that community feeling was there and that became a bit of a, um, <clears throat> a bit of a, a, a stamp that other people mm. tried to follow. It became the, the pattern that other people followed. And that that has really worked. And we've got Lardy Games Days here, there and everywhere now, including, you know, Australia and uh, America and whatever. And we, we do and we have really tried to attend them um, to because it's a great opportunity. We see it as a great opportunity to do what we're trying to do at the war game shows, which is be outward looking. What we're very keen to see is that Lardy games days are an opportunity for people not to, not to be a closed clique 
where all the spaces are taken by people who come along every year and it's the same group. We want it to, we want to see 25% of the people there <clears throat> new to Two Fat Lardy's rules who've not played the game before. We want to see organisers setting aside space for new people who can say, I've never played Chain of Command before, I've never played Sharp Practice before, I've never played a Lardy game before. And it's a great opportunity for them to come and learn the game in a really sociable, non-competitive environment where um, they can be taught the rules by people mm. who know them. They've taught the rules by people who've got the armies. They don't have to paint loads of figures. They can just turn up, come along, have a great day playing games, and then come and have a couple of beers and a bit of a curry and a chat and talk about their experiences and why did that happen? Why do these rules work like that? And by accident rather than design, it's created a fabulous community that means a huge amount to, to both of us being, being serious. We've got great, great friends out of that community. Yeah. And, and what we both felt really, really strongly about and try and emphasise at all points, it's not hierarchical. We're not in charge. We don't run the Lardy Games Days. We are just a couple of gamers going along to enjoy ourselves and play games with other people. So if anything, we've actively attempted to combat any sense of a cult. Although I do like the idea of having a big cultist <laughs> hat with horns, curly horns, and a big kind of cloak. But uh, putting that aside, it's what what's happened is a community has grown that has been outward looking, like we've said about the games. There are no, what was the expression? Freeloading Tights. parasites. <laughs> it's about a welcoming community. And I think that's really important. And you hit the word on the head. It's not a cult, it's yeah. a community. Hard to spell, but a much better word. Nice. Nice. I can't add anything to that. I agree 100% to it. And in fact, actually, what's really lovely, you said about people playing their first Lardy game sets. What's really lovely also at Games Days is you get people playing their first ever war game. And yeah, that's, yeah, really, really. that's really uh, lovely. And the friendship. Because you, you can friendship. beat them easily. You can easily win if they don't know the rules. No. <laughs> but no, oh, just, you know, obviously, it's just nice to share that with somebody. And it's nice that people can bring their mates who don't war game and yeah. bring them in the room and say, this is what we do and how it all works. And they say, well, that's, that's quite interesting. I quite like that. That was good fun. Thanks very much. And what we've, what we've actively tried to do is counter the, the nerd image of war games. Yes. I said at the very outset, if we're going to go on tour and we're going to do this, yes. I don't want this to be a collector about being nerdy. I want this to be a rugby <laughs> tour with war gaming. Yeah. And unfortunately, my behaviour has generally <laughs> meant that that is the case. <laughs> well, so, I think, um, um, you know, you, both of you have spoke many times on, on many other shows about your love of um, history and how important it is that the rules reflect the history. But I think uh, a less talked about and um, more as equally important for me is, is um, and I'm pretty sure, I don't know whether it's intentional or not, but you guys bring humour into it, whether it's the name of one of the characters in one of your games or and i believe it is accidental yeah. but the big cock thing um I, I i don't know whether the chain of command was accidental or not uh, please please feel free to not answer that if you need to um but um obviously that's a, a generational thing 
Well, I, I, I think for us, the view certainly I had when I was a, a younger man was that this this it, hobby yeah. took itself very seriously, and and so actually to to have the opposite view to be somebody who kind of you know wanted to to kind mm. of parody in some ways some of those ridiculous kind of attitudes that that uh, used to used to um, be seen a lot. We would come up with some of these things, like you know. Just or like a punk rock methodology, really. Just just because we could, you know, just because we thought it'd be a funny thing to call it, you know. So, you know, the first set of rules we 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 wrote, um, you know, I ain't been yeah. I ain't been shot, mum. You know, ridiculous name, ridic ridiculous name for a set of war games rules. But partly because uh, all the other all the other rules were like that kind of classic. Um, I don't know, whatever, Nazi, they, whatever they were. Which, Nazi yeah. connotations. Panzer yeah. right Führer, the new uh, World yeah. War Two rules. And we just thought, you know what? We're all taking this too seriously, so uh, we'll, we'll call it something. Like two fat liars itself yes. is a massive, you know, massive pun, um, of of course. So um, it should be fun, and we wanted to have fun, and we wanted to be seen to be having fun. I guess. I went to uh, I went to a very serious wargaming event when I in 1984, and I was playing a game with some guys some of whom I knew, but some of whom I'd not met before. And we were having a laugh mm. because we were enjoying the game. Yeah. And a very famous wargaming celebrity came all over and remonstrated with us because we were laughing and we shouldn't have been laughing because it was a serious war game. Then the event was a serious wargaming event. And if we wanted mm. to laugh, we shouldn't be there. And I, and I told him where to go. And my attitude ever since then is I'm doing this because I I love history, but I want to enjoy my wargaming. History informs my wargaming. Wargaming is completely intertwined with the hist my study of history and appreciation of history. But when I play a game, I'm playing a bloody game and I want to have a laugh with the people I'm playing a game with. Mm. And, and that's been really important for me. And that's why you'll never see me run a tournament. I've never played a tournament game. I've nothing against people who want to play a tournament mm. game, but it doesn't tick any boxes for me. And so the the... The emphasis has always been on having fun, enjoying yourself. And part of having fun is making sure other people are enjoying it with you. Uh, you, you, you when, when you start playing a game with somebody, you, you've got an unwritten contract that says, I want to enjoy this, but part of that is making sure that mm. you enjoy that too. Um, and I think that's, a, that's just part of the ethos. Nothing, nothing clever about that. We're just doing what any decent people would do. Right, I, th I, I, I think credit to you both for um, keeping that in, um, because with humour, as as I found out many times on this podcast, there is always a danger of somebody being offended by you having a joke about something. Um, yeah. And I think that the the community that we spoke about earlier um, has latched on to that sense of uh, of the way that the you you guys look at things and and kind of everyone has the same round that table having a curry everyone's having a laugh and a joke about dave rolling double one repeatedly poor guy, poor guy. that's that's um that's that's the benefit of, of friendship yeah. isn't it you have a laugh with people that you enjoy being with. And I think one of the best things about the Lardy community is seeing the real friendships that have emerged from that. And 
people who you know made lifelong friends um I, yeah just i think there's everything and that's not too fat lardis that's mm. this hobby this hobby can do that for anybody and that's why it's such a brilliant hobby because we can we can enjoy the things that we can enjoy with people that we enjoy being with and i think that's really worth promoting which is why you know i i, I like the things that i like but i'm against things that that present a bad image of the hobby like certain awful websites like like certain people who who just use their their place on the on the biggest stage in wargaming just to get in for free all these things mm. are negative for, for the hobby um and, and yeah uh, coming out of the humor then um it, it, it's surprising that there was never a uh, carry on film carry on wargaming um so uh, i wondered uh, who would play who would play the lardies uh, in a carry on wargaming film i've no idea um i mean i'm going for i'm going for kenneth williams for, for sydney for sydney i'm going for kenneth williams oh, I'd, I'd have to play sid james i want sid james to play me babs wins are for rich or... i'd yeah. definitely be babs definitely be babs yeah yeah i knew barbara i knew babs i had, I had a boozer just down the road oh, from when wow. she had uh, uh and she had a nightclub just up the road and uh yeah lovely lady interesting collection of friends i think of all the questions you've asked us ken that's the most bonkers one no sid and i played a great game we played wargaming celebrity wargaming celebrity celebrity squares i know you we were did. on our way back from oh wargame show so remember the old celebrity squares thing with yes, nine yes, celebrities yes. you had to name nine famous wargamers and then who would play them in in the celebrity squares version so um uh, we you know we had people like christopher biggins in there playing certain celebrity wargamer and things like that. and it it was quite fun <laughs> to go through and decide who would play who and sid decided that i should be played by leslie grantham who played dirty den in east end wow <laughs> It was Ken on there. Was Ken on there? I, I, I don't recall. I wasn't part of the conversation. But uh, well, yeah, 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 he was. Was Ken on there? Who played Ken? Do you remember? I can't tell him. Mate. I can't tell. Him. Uh, I, can't tell I, him. I have a feeling I might have been Arthur Mullard. You were Arthur Mullard. Yeah. You, Arthur Mullard. <laughs> How did I know that? Michael Parkinson played Ken. Michael oh, Parkinson. Yeah, the yeah, great Parky. Yeah, yeah. The great, the late great Parky. Is he late? Oh, no, bless him. He is, He's yeah. Oh, yeah. Sadly passed away recently, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, I thought so. Is, what a star that was man was. What a star. But yeah, but then you've taken up you've taken up the mantle, Ken. Yeah, you you've are taken the up the mantle of Michael Parkinson, where is Nick Parkinson of Wargaming? Taken up the mantle of Arthur Mullard. Yeah. I know which one I'd rather be. <laughs> so um yeah, you have you have normally then um your uh, Sydney does your battlefield challenges where you do yeah. a video. Mm. Um, so um, my Yorkshire Gamer challenge is that when you do your next battlefield challenge, is that Rich needs to recreate the scene from Carry On Camping, where Babs <laughs> wins as bra flies off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, if I, if Dave will lend me some of the bras that he gets through the post, yeah. I I can try doing that and <laughs> give it all up. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me um 
don't know where to go from there, to be honest. Um, and, Psychiatric help is normally where people go to care. No, it's, it's, it's normally a good one. Um, so, Nick, you have a day job, don't you, as well as doing the lardy stuff? Yeah, well, not today, it looks like, because I'm spending my whole day talking to you. <laughs> oh, he's, he's getting he's getting all Alex Southern on me. Oh, uh, Alex, when's this bloody going to end? When's it going to end? <laughs> yes, that's oh, correct. Dear. I mean, you know, no. Richard took the decision many years ago to invest himself fully and wholeheartedly in two fat lardies. Wasn't big enough for the both of us. Uh, yeah. And um, I've I've stuck with my own furrow, which is great because it gives me a different dimension on on the hobby. Yeah. Uh, gives us space to do our own thing yeah. as well, and um, and also keeps paying my mortgage. Always a good thing. Always a good thing. But both of you have said uh, on other interviews I've heard with you, and you mentioned at the start of the podcast about this kind of fallow period that you're having um, with you know you're not going to events so much over the over the coming weeks. So can being so heavily involved in the hobby from a business perspective take the shine off it from a personal hobby perspective no what can happen is you go to so many bloody events you don't end up doing the business stuff you need to i've been trying to get midgard finished i've been trying to get general Darme finished i've been trying to get the far east handbook finished but i've been going to so many blooming events uh literally in far-flung corners of here there and everywhere that you say, oh, it's a one-day event. But, yeah, you spend a day mm. travelling to get there. You spend another day afterwards travelling to get home. You then have three or four days post to catch up on and three or four days correspondence to catch up on. And then the accountant says, I need this. And all of a sudden, that's five days gone out of a week and you've actually yeah. achieved nothing, nothing at all. And I, it, that's what's been happening. I've been going to so many events. I, I haven't been able to finish off the projects that we've got. And we did have a logjam with a lot of projects arriving in the hopper at the same time, which is prob problematic. So I, I'm, but does that take the edge off it? No, not at all. I mean, when, when I took this on as a full-time business, I spoke to somebody really well known in the hobby. He said, Oh, that's it. That's the end of your hobby. It's a business now. It won't be your hobby any longer. And I thought, mm. bloody hell, that worried me because I love wargaming. Absolutely. It's always, to be honest with you, it's been my life other than Carlsberg. Um, uh, but um, it, that's never happened. And the reason it's one of the reasons it's never happened is that if I think, oh, I really fancy doing that, I allow myself to go and do that, even if it slows down some of the other projects. And I think you've got to do that in order to keep motivated and maintained. Mm. Um, so, no, it doesn't get in the way. What gets in the way is it gets in the way of you actually doing the hard graph that you really need to do because um, uh, the, the War Games events that we go to are very much the icing on the cake, but I need a cake to base the icing on. Mm, and if, I'm yeah. not, if, I, if I haven't got time to bake the cake, there's no point having the icing. So that's that's the problem for me. It's exhausting. It's, it's exhausting. It is exhausting, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, putting a game on a weekend show for me is exhausting. So doing it week after week, yeah, yeah. and and drinking cooking lager and eating lots yeah. of curry, yeah, yeah. Um, it, all of it is oh, oh, it's a terrible life. Hard yards, <laughs> mate. Hard yards. Hard but yards. somebody's got to do it. 
Yeah. We'll just finish off. We'll add a couple of questions and just uh, we'll finish off. And, and um, I'm sure, and I, I think I've been in conversations or next to conversations at shows with you around this, is that people will approach you with sets of rules to publish. Mm. Um, and I kind of wonder what was the weirdest suggestion you've ever had for a large product? I think, uh, it, I mean, nobody said, uh, you know, uh, you know, what, what was that game I once mentioned? Um, giant pixies on Uranus or something like yeah. that. <laughs> Space pixies on Uranus. Nobody ever came to me with, with a rule set called, called that. If they had, I might have been interested in publishing it. Mm -hmm. um, it what, what you get are people who are really, really, really interested in one aspect of history. And they go, I've written a fabulous set of rules for the war of something really obscure. And they think that that is a good reason to publish it. Well, I wrote a really, really great set of rules for the Boer War. But I never published it because it's commercial suicide. It costs a lot of money to produce a set of rules. I mean, when we published the first edition of Chain of Command, I think the production costs were approaching £30,000. And that's over 10 years ago. Once you take into account dice, tokens, all the other ancillary stuff. Mm. Um, it has to stack up financially. And I think that's one of the real shames about the way rules are produced now. For years, we kicked against going full colour because we wanted to be able to produce some of the more obscure, cover the more obscure stuff, like If the Lord Spares Us. We could mm. never publish yeah. that in full no. colour. We could never publish that today at the standard that we do with something like What a Cowboy. And that's a true shame. And if we published it in black and white, we it wouldn't, or you know, or a, a more cheap and cheerful version, it wouldn't sell. So even people go, but you can publish it in black and white, and it'll be cheaper to produce. Yes, but the, <laughs> the cost involved of producing a rule set is not what you shell out your wallet. It's the fact. For example, I've been working on General Darmay two for nearly what, several months now. Midgard, James, and I have been editing that since March or April. That's a huge investment in time. And to do that with a set of rules that's going to sell 100 copies, I understand people's aspirations, but it has to make financial sense for me because otherwise I'm, I go bankrupt and and no more two fat lardies. Yeah, so, understandable. I think, yeah, so I think no, nobody's come up with anything particularly weird, but just obscure is probably the better word. Yeah, I like that. I mean, somebody produced a set of six mil emu wars figures, didn't they? So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd love to know what the sales numbers on that was. Yeah, well, it's. I mean, but look at two two millimeter ancients with Mark Backhouse's brilliant strength and honor rules. Mm. Now, I, I don't think there's many companies out there that would publish them, but they are such a good set of rules. Um, it, it, but it's. It's important that some commercial decisions are saying, look, I'm, I'm not going to make money on this. I just don't want to lose money on this because this is a really important set of rules to get out there. So we try and be there. We try and be innovative. We try and be producing rules that are innovative and at, at the cutting edge. But sometimes things are so obscure that they, you just can't, you can't back that particular horse. It's a shame, but the other thing is the tremendous pressure in terms of while I'm producing other stuff at the moment, I'm not producing stuff that I want to write, and I have mm. to get that balance right. So, no, understandable, understandable. Um, so the final question from me then um, is, uh, and we'll go with Nick with this one: Is there a perfect set of rules? 
Is there ever going to be a perfect set of rules? Well, if there is, we haven't written it. It's all real. Well, or ever will. Um, is there ever such a thing as a perfect set of rules? Well, you know, to answer the question, there probably is, but well, you know, it's an aspirational thing. Uh, we mm. keep writing rules. I think we, I say we, I mean people who write rules, not just Rich and I, and Rich writes a lot more than I do. Uh, that's a fact. Um, but, you know, the other people who are writing things, it's the, it's the pursuit of perfection, isn't it, that keeps the... Pro- that keeps quality moving forwards. You know, it's not about the, it's not about what you attain. It's in the kind of quality you achieve on the journey towards that. And we're getting better. I think rules are getting better. I think we're getting cleverer at um, at bringing together key concepts in a in a way that's that's increasingly playable. I think some of the game mechanisms are really quite advanced now, but there's still loads of space for things to get better. Um, and you know, things will change as well. Things will will uh have more emphasis depending on how people see things if that makes sense you know there's a kind of cultural movement isn't there will shine a light on a different part of the game and that will influence the way that we want to write rules about it so i think it's an aspiration but it having the aspiration always wanting to do better than you did last time is no bad aspiration and that's what we i think rule writers um yeah i think that's a good thing for them to bear in mind hmm rich what do you think Perfect set of rules. Well, yeah, it's something you aspire to. But I think rules are like television sets. When I was a kid, the television set was black and white. And then I remember going to my nan's and she rented a colour television from Radio Rentals. And you think, wow, that's as good as it can get. And for a while, it was as good as it can get. But when I look at the 800-inch flat screen, this, that and the other, 3D that we've got now, you think, wow, that's as good as it can get. But I tell you what, in five years' time, we'll be going, blimey, this one's even better. And I think rules are like that. It's in a constant state of development, I hope. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that has concerned me is that with um, with rules, there, there often tends to be the, the, the inclination to copy the type of style of what's gone before and yeah. quickly reshell the same pea. I hope that we continue to have a hobby in which people are being innovative with rules and trying different mechanisms and trying different ideas. Mm. Because I think that's when, when rules are exciting and interesting. And that's not something that historical wargames, figure wargaming has always been that good at. If you look at what's happened with board wargaming or board gaming, you will see huge amount of innovation mm, in board gaming yeah. that's been happening yeah. over the last 20 years. Whereas in historical wargaming, often it's the case of producing a, a, a mirror of what's gone before on the basis that, oh, well, people know that game and therefore they're comfortable with the mechanisms. doesn't mean it's the best game. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that, you know, if I cast my mind back 20 years, it used to be that you'd open a set of rules and the first thing we'd have is ground scale, time scale, troop yeah. types, movement, melee, firing, morale. You know, that was the framework that everything worked around. And I think really innovative rules now, breaking away from that set structure and finding cleaner ways to you have those same mechanisms, the same principles are in there, but they're not in that same uh paradigm if you like they're not in that same lineup so there's slightly different ways of thinking about it slightly more uh multifaceted aspects of games and rich is right ball games are really good at providing different mechanisms and i think as as tabletop historical war game uh designers there's a lot we can learn from that kind of approach 
So I think the best is yet to come, mate. Oh, awesome answer. Awesome answer. Uh, I have to say that for me, a perfect set of rules can be a, a time and a place and a group of people as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, and absolutely, for sure. It's, it's perfect for that moment in time. And we often look back, I'm sure all of us do, on games that we would have played in our teenage years that we absolutely loved and enjoyed. And we go back and read the rules yeah. now and we, we kind of go, Jesus, how did I get how did I get through this? That's how we started. We had a set of rules that we'd been playing. We hadn't played it for five years. We said, let's revisit that. And we got them out, we put them on the table and we thought, blood and sand, these are yeah. awful. And so we let, let's 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 do let's see what we can do, yeah. and that's how it all that's where it all began. So finally, I'll give Nick an opportunity to um, plug the Lard magazine. Um, I believe that the um, requirement for articles, etc., is is on at the moment. Um, so, what are you looking for, Nick? What? Um, how can people get hold of you and get articles to you? Okay. Well, so Lard magazine is a PDF. Uh, magazine that we produce annually um, around this time of year. We normally try to get it out before Christmas if we can, so that people have got something to enjoy over that festive break. Because it's a PDF, we've got no uh, necessarily limits on what mm. we can include. We don't have to keep it to 64 pages or whatever. Um, and over the last few years, it's been, well, I can't remember how many pages we've had, Rich, but it's been, you know, 120 plus even 160 i don't know lots and lots of pages adding um, towards 200 more it, yeah it's written by the community for the community um so if you have a scenario that's a chain of command scenario or some ideas about using light troops in strength and honor or uh, or a campaign about sharp practice or um some bag the hun scenarios you want to play or some little some thoughts about turkish infantry and it'll sue that 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 can all go in there mm. if the lord spares us that can all go in anything that's around a, a two fat light is a rise of its press uh, right, product so open right. stuff is fine pick its charge mm. um is all in there as well so actually what it now means is it's a real wide ranging east of content mm. but written by people uh, what we ask them to do is is send in their contributions to to us so they can dm us or or message us via social media to find out how to do that uh, and we will do the editing and put it together um and make sure that you know we try and get pictures looking in a, in, a, in a way that's okay for publication and do maps and that kind of stuff mm. so if you have an idea if you have a scenario if you have a thought in your head that you want to put down on paper uh it's a great space to put it out there excellent and do people necessarily need to have their own photographs to go with their own um articles not necessarily not yep. necessarily we can normally source photos if we need to if they're going to have a map it's nice for them to send us a sketch of what that map yep. needs to look like or maybe a photo of a game that they've played you know so we can see what the map table looks like um put that in there but no there's there's no need for that um and uh yeah there's, and there's no kind there's no word limit obviously it's got to be interesting we don't we don't we won't publish any old stuff um but it, unless, yeah. unless I've written it. Unless, unless right, yeah. <laughs> D different sizes um, and types um, of static grass and static grass applicators. Yeah, but we've got yeah. some, you know, we've got some good content already received. I can, uh, what we've got so far, looking, I'm just looking at my editorial Trello because we do try to be organised with these things. We've got some uh, right. East Africa scenarios, Bag the Hun already received. We've got some 
stuff from John Savage, who's always a good yeah. contributor. Gunfight at the OK Corral, we think will be in there for what a cowboy. Strength um, and honor, we've got strength and honor strength stuff. Strength and honor, we've got some stuff in there, some stuff about water tanker, maybe incorporating some ideas about incorporating infantry water tanker that might be in there. Um, things about how you base figures. Um, Sydney's even promised to write us something, wow. so God knows what that will be. Um, but we've got, yeah, content. Anybody is welcome to contribute. That is fantastic. Um, I can't thank you enough for your time today, gentlemen. It's been most appreciated. Um, I do always end up with people asking me a question if you have one. Um, if you don't, we shall end the podcast. Rich, have you got a question for me? Do you, do you moisturise? Um, I do, actually. Nivea for men. <laughs> Your ever youthful looks, mate. That's clearly because, what it is. I, I should try I'm worth it. it. Is that, is that, I don't know. <laughs> Nick. Yeah, my, my question can relate to the podcast. Okay. I'd Sensible like to know what, we, what, we're gonna, what are we going to do in the second half? We're going to ask. We're going to ask Sydney whether we've gone over our allotted time span um, and whether we <laughs> have. Our purpose of whether the two guests that I've had on were worth it, which I'm sure you were. <laughs> so, just since uh, takes us to say good night to all the listeners. So, if you'd like to say good night, good night, all the listeners. Good night, all the listeners and their friends and families too, and everyone else who knows me. <laughs> good night, mum. So there we go, another episode over and done with. And thank you very much to Rich and Nick for their time. And uh, sadly, we'll never know what Rich said in between parts three and four. It just didn't record. I'll let you all work it out for yourselves. <laughs> but uh, I had great fun doing that episode of Rich and Nick. Two great lads, two great ambassadors for the hobby. And uh, if you don't you're not familiar with their rules um i'd certainly get down and uh, give them a go or try one of the lardies days where you meet a great bunch of people and you can join in with people who know the rules and can help you along with um the mechanisms that are involved and then have a few beers and a curry afterwards after all what else is wargaming around so 50 episodes we did it thank you very much no plans of going away anywhere. Uh, I am going to put back some episodes. I made a big mistake last year of trying to cram everything in to December that I had planned for the year, and I ended up burning out and then not doing a podcast for quite a considerable time into the new year. So I, I'm going to be dropping three episodes for this year um, that were planned, and not dropping them completely. All I'm going to do is I'm going to push them back until after the new year. So that means that the next time you're going to hear the um Yorkshire Gamer podcast. It will be the Christmas Brews in the Binyard episode, which I'm hoping to have out in uh, about three weeks' time, obviously before Christmas. Um, and then there'll be the uh, annual awards show in its second year, and uh, then we'll be back into normal 
programming scheduling in uh, January when I, as I say, will already have three shows already lined up and planned. And then I've got the six guests after that already planned, but just not booked in. So we're not going anywhere. Uh, and I hope you aren't either. Um, we passed 100,000 downloads last episode and uh, long may it continue. So once again, thank you very much for all your time listening to this podcast. Much appreciated. And hopefully I'll see you again before Christmas. Till then, see thee.